Tune in to the Neil Prenderville Show weekdays from 9am on Cork's Red FM. And of course, the Dublin situation making all of the papers today, but the examiner is leading with meat barons playing with lives. A factory with 226 cases stayed open, creating a major health risk. Daniel McConnell, the political editor of the examiner, writes on the front page, the meat industry and health authorities have been slammed after it emerged that a meat plant in Cork had 226 positive COVID cases, but never closed down, creating a major health risk. Local politicians have hit out <clears throat> at the failure of the meat industry and the HSE to move more swiftly to contain the outbreak of the plant or to alert the local communities, describing their actions as totally unacceptable. Sinn Féin Deputy Leader Pierce Doherty revealed the number of positive cases yesterday in the Dáil, and he asked why nothing had been done uh, and what hold the meat barons, as he called them, had over the state. Mr Doherty said... Those barons were playing with people's lives in the interest of profit. Contrast that to this headline, Dublin to face new curbs on eating out. Only pubs, restaurants and cafes with outdoor dining may be allowed to open. Dublin restaurant and pub customers will have to eat outside under rigid new COVID rules, meaning most of them will have to shut temporarily. We're coming into October. Who's going to eat outside? When ministers meet today, they're expected to impose level three of the living with COVID plan of the capital, but with an added blow that has infuriated the frustrated hospitality sector. A senior cabinet source told the Irish Daily Mail last night, we're moving to level three for Dublin. And as numbers are so high because of people meeting indoors, the public have to avoid pubs and restaurants for three weeks. Now, that's not written in stone just yet because on the front of the mirror, uh, whose headline is Pub Brawl, uh, uh, Fergal Blaney and Neil Leslie are saying the government is set to stand up to officials who want to shut indoor dining in Dublin's uh, pubs and restaurants again. Neffet yesterday urged a level three lockdown for the capital where cases are soaring, including closing premises that don't have outdoor seating or takeaways. But a source revealed last night that Taoiseach Michal Martin is going to stand firm and keep them open. So uh, it's going to be, it's not going to be, we'll have to wait until the cabinet meets and votes on that. The uh, Sun's front page has beer we go again, Dublin pubs, restaurants will be hit, indoor dining to be banned, measures to last for three weeks. Well, as I say, we'll have to wait and see. Moving to the Echo, Mary Corcoran uh, is reporting, we can't let Ryanair go, is the headline, but the Minister for Public Expenditure and Reform, Michael McGrath, has said any possible decision by Ryanair to downgrade its presence in Cork must be avoided. Yesterday, Ryanair Group Chief Executive Michael O'Leary said it's highly likely that the company will close its winter base at Cork Airport. In an interview, he said that a final decision will not be made on the matter until the end of the month. And when contacted by the Echo, a spokesperson for Ryanair said they'd not be making a statement on the matter, but that Mr O'Leary had spoken to RTE on the contents of the article, uh, and that was accurate. And speaking to the Echo, Mr McGrath, Minister McGrath, said he was under no illusion about the depth of the crisis at the airport and stressed it was an incredibly difficult situation for everyone. The green list is slashed to seven as Greece and Italy are cut, says the Irish Daily Mail. Greece and Italy have been added to Ireland's red list of countries from which travellers are required to quarantine for 14 days on arrival under new travel restrictions to curb the spread of COVID-19. The mirror has a very graphic uh, picture of Ireland and, uh, you know, a picture tells a thousand words. It really, really is hard hitting. When you look at the cases, they're looking at the number of cases per 100,000 population. Dublin has 109.6. Cork has only 11.2. 
Kerry, and we are surrounded by higher numbers, by the way. Kerry, 22.3. That's double what we have in Cork. Limerick, 52.3. And Waterford, 71.4. No wonder we're getting reports of dozens and dozens, if not hundreds, of dereg cars flocking into West Cork. um, Because, of course, notice was given that you may not be able to, or advised that you may not be able to leave the capital or the county of Dublin. Uh, except for vital reasons. Donegal's quite high at 45.9, but Leitrim is way up there at uh, 81.1. Louth is 88.5. Limerick 52.3, as I said, and Offaly 62.9. I'm struggling to find, looking at all the counties, I can't find one lower than Cork, so we must be doing pretty well here uh, with all of our cooperation with the restrictions. 11.2 in Cork compared to 109.6 per 100,000 in Dublin. The public deserves transparency about clusters. Also says the Daily Mail, a call has been made for public health authorities to publish further details of COVID-19 outbreaks in businesses and public settings. Uh, and that, uh, once again, is covering Sinn Féin TD Pierce Doherty and his uh, action in the Doyle yesterday. Productivity unaltered by homework, says the Mirror. Staff working from home are more productive or the same as working in the office according to a new survey released yesterday. A poll of, poll of more than 1,000 employers by the Chartered Institute of Personnel and Development reported 65% found homeworking increased productivity or had no negative impact. What future then, I wonder, for the office and for office developments? And there's many of them popping up around Cork City at the moment. The Mail also have, we could have had a Christmas without COVID. Louise Byrne reporting a disease expert has said the government blew its chance to have a COVID-free Christmas by reopening the nation too soon. Now, we spoke to this uh, expert yesterday, of course, Professor Jerry Colleen. His comments came as a leading GP called for Dublin to move to level four of restrictions instead of level three. This follows the National Public Health Emergency Team's NEFIT's advice to government uh, that Dublin be moved immediately to level three, uh, the risk rating of the COVID-19 plan. Uh, return to school has not increased COVID rates as a Cork GP. There's not been a disproportionate rise in cases of COVID-19 since children returned to school earlier this month. The examiner has cabins installed in preparation for winter. Cabins have been installed on the footpath outside a busy city hospital. Uh, to expand the emergency, the capacity of its emergency department as part of its COVID-19 winter preparations. The robust structures are going up outside the Mercy University Hospital in Cork and they've replaced the temporary tents that were there and were erected by the Defence Forces during lockdown to help facilitate social distancing requirements in the emergency department. We'll uh, flick through the papers and pepper through more stories as the programme goes on. One final headline. Fears for 2,500 jobs. You'll have heard Lana talk about this in the news as Ulster Bank's owner considers shutting it down. The British owners of Ulster Bank are considering closing it down. A shutdown would put the jobs of 2,500 people at risk and see the closure of its 88 branches. It's uh, it's thought the rundown of the uh, loss-making bank would take six years but would be a massive blow to banking competition in this country. It's a quarter past nine. Good morning from the Neil Prendival Show. The Neil Prenderville Show. With Tesco. Save time and shop online. Simply log on to tesco.ie. Now, we've never seen quite the volume of reaction we got to a call we had yesterday. We got a text at the end of the show as well yesterday. Uh, A medical professional uh, should come on the airways to bring some reality. It's desperate listening to all these idiots who obviously need to see bodies piled up on the streets. America is a mess because of Trump. Please bring a medical professional on. Now, they were talking about uh, Michael yesterday, and uh, I allowed a certain little bit of uh, a wander into the conspiracy theory 
uh, area and we got a huge, huge reaction to it. Some people said, uh, you know, you're losing listeners because of this. Some people said, oh my God, somebody speaking sense once and for all. But in the interest of balance and in bringing on an expert, uh, we have just that in Dr. Nuala O'Connor, the clinical lead on COVID-19 for the Irish College of General Practitioners. Good morning, Dr. Nuala. Good morning. I'm not sure if you were listening during the paper review there, but Cork would seem to be doing pretty well in the COVID stakes as a factor of per 100,000 affected. Yeah, I think we are uh, 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 doing quite well in Cork. And and I suppose that's testament to the behaviour of uh, uh, people in Cork, because at the end of the day, what we know now uh, about this virus compared to March is we actually know how to stop this virus in its tracks. And it really is down to people's personal behaviour and everyone taking personal responsibility for their actions. And the message, you know, when you cut through all of the, the sort of the, the waffle and, you know, the areas are full of all sorts of things and there's lots of fake news and lots of stuff out there. But at the end of the day, what it is, is this virus loves when people get together. So it loves when people get together, particularly in indoor, crowded, poorly ventilated spaces, because that's when it spreads. So the the message is simple. We all need to reduce our social contacts. What that means is we need to reduce the number of people that we meet regularly, face to face. And when we do meet people as far as possible, what we need to try to do is get outdoors, meet people outdoors, get some exercise in, go for a walk, um, sit and eat outdoors if you're, you know, it's it's that. That's, that's the place where we can continue to uh, mix with people, to live our lives, but we need to try to be careful about how we do it. And one of the things that we do know at the current problem, so we've, we, we've had various stages. So we had a very definite uh, issue with our nursing homes. That's com- that is under control now. We had a, an issue with certain types of industries, particularly the meat industry. That is under control. We're doing serial testing in both of those areas. Very, very, very low rates of positivity. What we now know, and this has been happening um, over the last number of weeks, we now know is we're getting more and more community transmission. What I mean by community transmission is the virus is being passed along through gatherings of, of people in the community. And a lot of it is happening in gatherings behind closed doors. So if you're getting together, so so if you're going into a restaurant now, okay, everybody knows what they need to do. You're wearing your mask going into your restaurant. You're doing your hand hygiene. You're being brought to a table. There's only six people at the table. You can't be shouting and laughing and saying at the table. When you get up to go to the bathroom, you've got to put on your mask. It's all in a very controlled environment. And that allows us to mix and socialise and, and, and enjoy the company of our friends and family, but in a safe manner. So what we need people to do is to take that now into their own homes, okay? So we know the figures. You know, you are, you're, we know we're not allowed to have large gatherings in our homes. We can only have uh, six people indoors and only from three families 15 people outdoors and it's the same in it, uh, currently at level 2 in Cork it's only from three families mm-hmm. but you also need to act in your home as if you were in a restaurant so you need to make it easy for those coming to your home so that you do not put them at risk 
So when they arrive, maybe just inside the door, have a little hand sanitising station. Explain, show people where the bathroom is. If you're having a, a, a people to sit down to eat, you socially distance the chairs. You've got to you know, open the windows. It, it's your, your hosting. You need to ensure that people are safe coming to see your home. But equally, if you walk in somewhere, be that somebody's home, be that a restaurant, whatever the venue, and if you look around and you say, oh gosh, I don't think this this seems safe. There seems to be a lot of people here. There's people standing up at the bar. There's a lot. Well, if it doesn't look safe, then it probably isn't safe. And you need to turn around and you need to walk out, even if that is somebody's private home, because that's the only way you are going to keep not only yourself safe, but all of your loved ones safe. Because if, if you get the virus, you know, you're going to expose those who you live with, those who you interact with to it. So it really, I mean, the, the message is actually very simple here. It's all down to each and every one person in this country doing the simple things, reducing the social contacts, washing your hands regularly, wearing your mask when you're on, where you can't maintain that two metre distance. So in the the public transport, in the retail shops, but also very much respecting that two metre distance when when you are interacting with other people. Okay, now um, everybody, I I don't think anybody would envy the government and its expert advisors. It's hard to get things right even on a good day. They've had some lamentable communication uh, failures and this hasn't helped. Can I just explore a, a thought for a moment, Doctor, with you? I would imagine that in the pubs that are serving food uh, and uh, maybe thousands of people who were out last night all over the country, that not one single cigarette was lit inside uh, those premises. And that is for one reason. There is full 100% public buy-in to the notion that you need to go outside to have a cigarette. That's because every worker is entitled to clean air. That's what's missing in the COVID-19, the struggle to combat COVID-19, is that lamentable communication errors on behalf of the powers that be have led a plague-weary population into, into being affable, uh, you know, just nonchalant about, about these measures you're asking for. Well, you know, I think everybody is tired, okay? Everybody would like this pandemic to be over. I'd like this to be over. Everyone would like to get back to normality. And I think, um, you know, I, I do think actually that the vast majority of people are still sticking with the public health measures. I, I wouldn't disagree with you that there has been a bit of mixed messaging. Um, and, you know, I think the, the problem is, is whatever the mixed messaging that is there, at the end of the day, we have to try to get back to where we were as a society in March and April. And I don't mean in terms of the numbers of cases of COVID. I mean in terms of that community spirit that was there, where we all knew the role that we had to play. And it was, you know, it isn't the government or the, 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 the healthcare uh, that got on top of COVID and got the numbers under control. It's actually the, your listeners out there. It, it was the actions of the citizens of Ireland by complying with what public health were advising. That's actually what got this virus under control. And that is what is going to get it back under control now. But I think we've all got a little bit complacent. And, and I, I get that. I understand all of that. I mean, the Irish people, we're, we're a social 
uh, rate. Uh, we love interacting with people. But what we need to do is we need to be able to do that safely and we need to choose wisely how we spend our time uh, over the next weeks and months and with whom we spend our time. Because at the end of the day, what we want to do is we must keep our schools and our colleges open. We must protect those that are medically vulnerable in our society. And we know what happened. There is a spillover. Like one of the things in the last few weeks is that, you know, this sort of, well, it's only young people are getting sick. And the hospital, the numbers going into hospital aren't going up. The numbers in intensive care aren't going up. Well, they're starting to rise now. And there's always a lag. It was spreading in the under 45 age group, but it is now spilling over into the over 65. And 10% of the cases in the last week are in that age group. So we are, and the deaths have gone up. We had four deaths in the month of August. We had 14 in, uh, so far in the month of September. So so there's always a lag phase. It, it, like, it, it would be lovely to think that you could contain the virus in the, in the under, you know, 40, 50 age group that are, are, you know, let's face it, the vast majority of those people are going to get well. You, they're, they're, they're going to fight this virus on their home just with fluids and paracetamol and a little bit of rest as you would do most viral infections. But it is inevitable. We cannot stop it spreading over into our medically vulnerable population. And there are the population that we need to protect. And then the third key thing is, The world has got to keep turning. We have to keep our economy going. But we can only keep our economy going if we can manage to keep a control of the numbers. So just to take you back through the numbers, at our lowest point, we had 10 cases per day. We then started to go up and um, at, from around the 20, up to the 29th of July, it was about 20 cases per day. But in the three weeks ago, it was 120. Last week, it was 151. This, the earlier this week, 210. Now it's up to 246. That's so, an exponential increase. It would seem then that the virus is rampant again. In certain parts of the country, yes. Um, and a, but this look it, it, at the moment, and I think this is the, the false reassurance we don't want to give to people. Yes, Cork, you know, we're, we're very in a very fortunate position at the moment, but there's no guarantee that that's going to stay that way. We all have to be vigilant, and this is everyone around the country. At the moment, there's a particular problem in Dublin, but the cases are also rising, as you've heard, in Donegal, in Leash, uh, in Carlow. You know, there's a concern in those counties. The positivity rate is higher in those in the, in, in the in, than in the rest of the, of the country. So none of us can afford to be complacent about this. Mm-hmm. The lowest is Sligo at 7.6 incidents in 100,000. Right next door, Leitrim is 81.1. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yes, it, it is, and it's very. And there's some of those. I, you know, I think sometimes it's not terribly helpful to focus on one individual figure because you know, if you have, let's say, if you had um, a, an outbreak in a nursing home or an outbreak in a in a, a, a particular sort of workplace or industry, that can temporarily cause a a, a sharp increase in 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 a number. So and. In, in, in that kind of a situation, so it depends on where the, the cases are. So if they're in a situation, say, let's say it, it, it's in a meat factory, we know that that has happened. So we know what's happening there. We know uh, we, we've had a final population that we can sort of put a ring around that population and we can sort of go in and investigate and we can we can tell people what to do and we can stop it. It's almost like you just put a 
you know, we can enclose it within a ring. But at the moment, one of the analogies I often use is the analogy of a fire. So, um, so if you've got a you know sort of medium-sized fire in the meat factory, well, you can surround that fire, you can divert all your resources there, and you could put that fire out. But what's happening now is we've all these little, mini little fires in little households dotted around the place, and any one of those could suddenly amplify and take off, and then suddenly you've got a much bigger fire. Once all those, like with the fire fires, once they all join up, once you get beyond a certain point we're at the situation where we're gone out of control and we're back to the situation that we were in March and April. Two questions so from, from a texter, Doctor, if, if I may. Two, two questions. Can you please ask your guests two questions? Question one, why hasn't the death-related numbers not been readjusted for the overestimated numbers by at least 600, which was reported on the 6th of July? Matt, I, 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 to be honest, I'm not actually sure exactly what they're what they're talking about there. That's okay, this, the the, se- the second question is, is probably more to the point. Uh, of yeah. the COVID nineteen related deaths, at least ninety five percent have had serious underlying health problems. How many of these unfortunate people were going to die anyway from their underlying health issues? Yeah, this is something that actually comes up um, uh, regularly, um, and I think. There is in the very elderly population. Um, there, there, there definitely is a probably a proportion of people in the very elderly. And I'm talking about over eighty five, and particularly very frail uh, uh, people. That a, a COVID probably hastened their death uh, by a couple of months. But you need to look at all of the people uh, with the chronic medical conditions. We've had deaths right across the board from very young to very old. So I think that is an oversimplification uh, to say that uh, the deaths due to COVID um, are being exaggerated. And you need only to look around the world um, and what's happening uh, right around the world. Uh, You know, I don't think that every country in the world could be uh, incorrect in their assessment um, of the situation. And I think, you know, if there are people that doubt the fact that there is a pandemic, then, you know, I think they just need to look at what's happening in the rest of the world. Okay, a couple of questions around false positives, the non-infectious people showing up as cases. uh, And I've been asked to ask you why asymptomatic people are being treated as sick people. Okay, so... One of the things uh, things that we know about this virus, so in the early stages, uh, we were particularly focused on people who actually had symptoms. And we do know that the, high, the highest risk that you have, the time you have the highest risk of passing it on to somebody else is when you have symptoms. So when you've got that fever, you're, 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 you're coughing, you're, you're short of breath and you actually have symptoms. But what we have discovered with this particular virus is that there are a lot of people who have no symptoms at all. They're they're asymptomatic. And we're picking these people up because when somebody is identified as a positive case, we go out and we try to test all of the people who've been in close contact with them. So we're discovering that a percentage of those, and it depends, it could be 20% in some cases, it's up as far as 40% of of the people that they've been in contact with um, have the virus but don't have actually any symptoms. And or they haven't developed symptoms yet. And we do know that in the, either in the 48 hours just before you develop symptoms, there's an increased risk that you could pass it on to somebody, particularly if you break that two metre distance. Because we just think about it, we know that this virus comes out in your, in your, in your breath when you're, when you're coughing or sneezing. So if, 
you're too close to somebody and you have virus particles coming out in, in your breath, if they're inhaled by somebody else, then that's how you pick up the virus. So we know that those there's a certain proportion of people out there who, who don't have any symptoms and they are actually at risk of passing that virus onto somebody. And, you know, th- there's no way that they can know that they actually have the virus because they've got no symptoms. It's only if they're tested. And this is why it's that maintaining the distance, maintaining that two meter distance is a really important thing. And also why avoiding the crowded, poorly ventilated indoor spaces, because it's in there, the virus then uh, can spread easily among people, even if you have no symptoms. So if somebody with terminal cancer dies with COVID, is that put down as dying from COVID or dying from cancer? It depends. And that will be up to a coroner to decide each each, each particular um, a, 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 a death is actually a, examined and discussed as to what the cause of death will be. Okay. And you spoke about the, uh, the disease or the virus being airborne and being easily picked up if, you know, on droplets from sneezing or coughing and, and that kind of thing. We had many parents yesterday worried about the length of time their, their children are subjected to wearing masks in school. What, what's your professional opinion, Dr. Neil O'Connor, uh, on the wearing of masks and their effectiveness? Well, the wearing of masks is just one part of a series of measures that we all need to take to stop the spread of this virus. So the the, the first one is... If you have any symptoms at all, you take yourself out of circulation and you don't put yourself in contact with others. The second measure is you maintain that two metre distance. The third measure is that you wash your hands regularly and you keep your hands away from your face. The fourth measure is that if you do have to have symptoms or even if you don't have symptoms, actually, symptoms shouldn't be there. But even in the absence of symptoms, often we're going to sneeze or cough for whatever reason. So if you're sneezing or coughing, and again, this is because you may have asymptomatic infection, you turn away and you sneeze or cough into a tissue or into your elbows, there isn't. And then the, the final one is that because on the basis that you may have uh, the, the virus particles coming out uh, in your breath, the idea behind the mask, which if it covers your nose and your mouth properly, it captures any virus particles within that cloth and then it reduces the risk that they're going to spread to others. So I do know that masks are uncomfortable. Believe me, I have to wear a mask all day at work. Mm-hmm. So I know that masks are uncomfortable. But um, I think uh, but they are part of this uh, suite of protective measures uh, that we need to put in place. But you know, what's important about masks is A, that they're worn properly. And we do see a lot of people out there and the mask is below their nose or it's down around their chin, you know, and they're pulling it up and they're pulling it down. When you put a mask on, you're meant to put it in place. You leave it in place. If it's going into a shop, uh, you leave it in place until such time as you've come out from the shop. You then remove it and you then you sanitize your hands. Okay, and and then that mask should actually be clean, should be put away and washed, and then a fresh one used the next time that you need to wear a mask. Uh, the other thing uh, about the masks is that I think you know, people think that the mask is the only thing I've observed myself. So if I'm going to say even my local centre, 
people aren't washing hand sanitizing before and after they leave places anymore. They're putting on the mask. And that's not enough. No single measure is enough on its own. It is actually all five measures put together are our greatest protection. So we need to be careful uh, that we um, don't over-rely on the mask. Okay, can you catch COVID from someone who's smoking? That's from inhaling cigarette smoke. No, not that I'm aware of. Okay. And what short of a lockdown, if we could lock the country down again, if there were no economic um, ramifications, would a five or six week total lockdown eradicate the virus here? Or is it impossible to eradicate it because of movement and travel and holidays and having a different regime with six counties attached to us in, in the north with different rules and regulations? You've answered the question yourself. You can't. You can't stop it. You can't eradicate it fully. No, no. So we're down no, to personal responsibility and living with it. Yeah, I mean, we can't eradicate, but if they, just think back to what were we trying to do? We all talked about flattening the curve, okay, we, at the start, okay? We need to go back to what we did. Why were we going to flatten the curve? We were going to flatten the curve to buy us time, to buy us time so that we could learn more about this virus, to buy us time so that we could develop treatments for those who become sick with this virus and cannot get better on their own to buy us time so that we could develop a vaccine so that we can protect firstly the most vulnerable in our society and eventually all of the rest of us. To buy us time so that we didn't overwhelm our healthcare services, in particular hospitals or intensive care units, so that the people who do get sick of that 20%, 14 to 20% that might need to be hospitalised, that we have enough capacity to ensure that the, as many as possible survive. And we don't have the situation that they had in northern Italy where they had to say to people who were over 60, I'm sorry, we do not have an intensive care bed for you. You're on your own. We yeah. do for you. You know, we don't want that in our society. And, and you know, we, we stopped it. We prevented that. Our hospitals did not get overwhelmed. Um, but we need to re-engage and we need to all be on the same page. We all need the buy-in again that we had from March to May. I'm going to have to leave it there, but it's been very enlightening. Dr. Nuala O'Connor, clinical lead on COVID-19 for the Irish College of General Practitioners. Thank you very much for giving us so much of your time this morning. Thank you. Text The Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. And a very good morning to you. It being Friday, of course, it's Free Food Friday on The Neil Prenderville Show. And you can message us or leave us a voicemail on 086-8104-106. Who you are, where you work, and why you want us to pick you. It's uh, Oak Fire Pizza. They're in Princess Street. They're in Clonakilty and Bandon. We'll sort out lunch for you and your team. The one proviso is we'll pick a winner this week, and the pizza will be delivered next week, okay? because we need to get the, you know, we need to get it to you hot and fresh. Uh, So you're going to get six large pizzas with sides, wood-fired baby potatoes and garlic bread, dips, drinks, and homemade mini cheesecake tasters, plus the compostable cups, cutlery, and napkins you'll need too. So we're doing it all very green. The website is oakfirepizza.ie, and they're spreading the passion for real wood-fire pizza since 2010. Oakfirepizza.ie. So we'll deliver it next week. Uh, last week's winners will be getting theirs today. So you're, the winners, whoever they are, will have time to arrange for the team to be there, uh, because a lot of people are working remotely now. And, uh, of course, we advocate uh, that uh, social distancing when you're sharing the pizza uh, must be adhered to. Philip Burke will call the winners on the day to see how they're all enjoying their free Oak Fire pizza goodies. So 
He'll do that after 12. So, well done to everyone at Oak Fire Pizza. It's a made in Cork success story with West Cork Roots uh, and opened as a takeaway in Bandon in 2015 and is going from strength to strength. More mentions on that a little later on. But who you are, where you work and why you want us to pick you on 0868 104 106. We're being deluged with comments on COVID and on conspiracy theories and on adherence and all this kind of thing. Uh, and your calls and comments are welcome. You can text 086-8104-106. Uh, text on D-Reg cars. Just because you have a D-Reg car doesn't mean you're from Dublin. I'm from Tipperary. Uh, and I have a DL-Reg car uh, from Donegal, says a texter. Yes, I do take your point. And uh, we, we're just getting a lot of communication that there seems to be a huge influx of D-Reg cards. Maybe, I know, not all of them are from Dublin. Uh, in certain towns in West Cork, in Goline, in Skull, in Crookhaven, etc. It seems that uh, giving them notice uh, maybe not the wisest thing to do. I hearken back to uh, when three counties were shut down, summarily shut down, with no notice whatsoever. The dogs in the street now know that uh, there will be a, an escalation to level three uh, this evening. And I also... Uh, understand there are many good reasons to treat our capital differently. It's huge uh, in population, vastly bigger in population and density of population than the rest of the country. And it plays a central social, economic and cultural role, of course, in this great nation's life. But uh, I'm not sure if it was the right call to advertise this uh, and allow many of the people from the highest infected area in the country to uh, travel uh, to lower infected areas. Simple as that, okay? I know it remains the responsibility of every citizen, no matter where they are, where they travel, who they are, and where they live, to act responsibly. But I also have kept saying that the citizens of Ireland also need clear and accurate communication. You can't buy in and continue to give your fullest cooperation unless you have clear and coherent um, communications coming from above. This is the only hope we have of avoiding more needless debts and um, more divisions when we need solidarity now as a nation. And we have the mental psyche and capacity to do it. We did it in the lockdown. We were all stoic. We were all there. We were all pulling on the same, uh, pulling on the same direction, singing from the hem- uh, same hymn sheet, whatever cliche you want to use. Uh, we may have to dig deep to do that again. Uh, so your calls and comments are welcome on that. And some more texts. Uh, on that uh, issue. Uh, what is it costing us to save one life from COVID? We're paying with other lives. Uh, non-treated strokes and heart attacks, late diagnosis, uh, diagnoses and cancer, suicides, poor mental health and long-term health effects of poverty and reducing funding for other health measures, says Carol. There's no way I'm giving my child a rushed vaccine, says another texter. Hi Mick, that doctor makes great sense. Thanks for clarifying. If these fools would only listen, I'm raging at people who don't listen. You would think government caused this virus. It's worldwide. Cop on, people, says Mags. Uh, I can't go on air, uh, but to say that Cork is behaving better than other counties regarding COVID is bull. Parties and gatherings all over the place, skate parks, playgrounds full of kids and parents, gangs of teenagers and social gatherings all over towns and villages across the county. It begs the question, are we just getting lucky at the moment or have we started to build herd immunity due to an early spike in Cork. It remains the fact that uh, of 100,000 of our population in Cork, we have 11.2 cases, uh, and Sligo is the only one with lower at 7.6. Dublin is up at 109.6. Back to our phone lines. Uh, let's take a quick call. This is Noel. Hi, Noel. Hi, Mike. Good morning. Hi. What have you got for us? A couple of points I want to make there is, first, she gave us figures of... Um, the say 120 to from 20 to 150 between July and now, right? But surely those figures should be accompanied by the how much the testing has been ramped up, you know. 
I'd, like that's, I'd expect her if she's giving the figures to, to, to have a matching set on the other side. Mm-hmm. But that, that's neither here nor there. What I did, did want to sort of address is this big community transmission um, blame they're laying. Like, I know for a fact this morning there was a busload of army medics left out of the barracks and they're gone to Dublin to assist in the swabbing. Okay. Right? And they come back to court this evening in the presence of possible uh, infected people all day. Anybody can travel from Dublin to Cork today, no. Uh, and I'm sure yes. they will be very well protected as they're doing that swabbing. Well, I imagine so, but it's just an indication of how much the, swab, the swabbing or testing has been ramped up that they now need help from Cork to do it in Dublin. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, that's my, my, my own sort of little, bitter little pill is the pubs. Right? Of course, you're, you're, you're in the trade, aren't you? Yeah, and I, I use the example of four girls that would come to the pub every weekend. And they would sit in the corner, listen to live music, put money in a jukebox, have a laugh, and go home. Where we have now created a situation is where they have one of them will book Clancy's, and one of them will book the Oak, one will will book, book the Bodega, one of them, and they end up in Reardon's. So we've taken those four girls from their local, and we've sent them into town, and we've sent them around to four different pubs. Now we can multiply that by thousands in every town and city in the country. Right. Now, I have friends living in Sweden, Japan, all over the place, and they can go to the pub. They don't have to pay at nine euro. They don't have a time limit, but they have to follow their government guideline. And their only government guideline is to stay within your own circle of friends and family. So I think by shutting everything down, we've created a, a much bigger problem. Yeah, well, we, cer- we certainly seem to, to drive the gatherings into houses where there is no social restriction. I mean, nobody's looking over your shoulder if there's 20 or 50 people, unless you're complained. Uh, is your own pub opening on Monday, Noel? Well, no, but, but uh, I suppose yeah, we've, we've done a bit of work, so the, the, the off-license, we have a brand new off-license and convenience are opening this evening, but we've, we've about a week or two left yet, so we've done a bit of work on the pub to convert the other side of us for social distancing. To, to make it COVID compliant, basically. And that pub is? Baker Street Bar in Gronabrar. Baker Street in Gronabrar. Noel, thanks very much. Cheers. Cheers, all the best. Bye-bye. Okay, uh, please call us, one eight five zero one zero four one zero six. You can text 0868104106 or email neil at redfm.ie. Back with Morris in a moment. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at neilredfm. 104 to 106 Red FM. Eight minutes to ten. Good morning, Morris. How are you? I'm good, Mick. You have the whole place up in a heap again, but <laughs> have I? You're sick of the whole virus pandemic, are you? I am sick to my two back teeth of the whole thing, Mick. Come back, Brexit. Uh, all is forgiven. Something like that, yeah. Even though I was sick of that as well, but um, this is this—it's mental what's going on. I was listening to Michael Garno yesterday, and you know, I didn't agree with 100 percent of what he was saying. Like the conspiracy stuff, now was a bit a bit more right. And treason and all that kind of thing. But certainly, there were aspects of what he was saying was very true, and I felt they were true anyway. Like you know, um, I can't for the life of me, right? But look, if you if we go back to the history of this thing, it started in January. We'll say we were looking at the TV, we were looking at China locking down a huge city, right? Oh man, what's that happened now? Which which is which is reopened again? Wuhan is fully reopened now. One second, now there's someone trying to call me. I think I have a red FM call coming in here for some reason. Oh, that's a strange one. Okay. 
Keep talking anyway. Yeah, you look, um, you, like you were, they were locking down Wuhan, we were looking at that, right? And then quickly after that, we were looking at Italy being, Northern Italy being locked down, and we were looking at pictures on Sky News, right, of, of intensive care wards and the lack of ventilators. And we had Boris Johnson, then he got sick, we were looking at that on the TV, and the Nightingale Hospital being built, right? So there was total panic in the population, Mick, you know? We were, we were looking at all this and expecting the worst of the worst. Um, are you there? I'm here. Yeah, I'm listening. Yeah, oh, but yeah, I, okay, I think okay. where people are coming to now, Morris, is is they're coming to the realization that this is going to be with us for quite a long time. This and I, you know, and I'm not sure if regionalized lockdowns, given notice, uh, are going to be very effective. I, I think we may be, uh, and I know the economy can't handle it. Uh, as as that doctor admitted, there's no way to beat this virus in the short term. No way. Well, no, not 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 unless we get a vaccine out tomorrow. It's not going to happen. And um, from what I'm looking at, from the science of it, that could be another two years down the road, uh, Mick. Right? And but, you know what's baffling now? And, and your call yesterday, Michael said that right? That it was all the age group of the deaths was eighty to eighty five or something like that. No, it's horrendous. Don't get me wrong, like, but and, I, and I'm not going to play it down like it is a dangerous virus for for that age group, right? But for for younger people, Mick, right? As we've been told by all the experts, this will manifest as a mild infection, right? And and you had you, you had that doctor on there a while ago, which is which was good listening to her as well, and she was talking about the meat plants, right? And how that they were mini clusters and they were able to ring fence them and control. She was talking about the fires and putting out the fires, Mick, right? And they were like, oh, we're not getting any statistics, Mick, about how many people actually died from the meat plant settings, right? And I would say to you, to zero. Right, because we haven't heard anything at all about it, right? So the question is, should we as a society consider creating um, some sort of centre or centres for actually deliberately infecting and quarantining the, that, the age group that will not be adversely affected? You know? Yeah, but you if, have, if, if you have COVID and you recover, uh, recover from it, it, there's nothing stopping you picking it up again. So I'm not sure how effective you, that would be. Um, the thing is, the thing is, right? If you if you recover from it, right? If you if you if you contract this virus and you recover from it, the science is that you will have antibodies then, and for a certain period of time, these antibodies give you a degree of immunity. Now, if you keep exposing yourself. Um, or through medical means, whatever, another booster vaccine or booster infection, we'll say, mm-hmm. as opposed to a vaccine, your body will continue to make these antibodies, which means you are no longer a vector, you are no longer a danger to the older population then. Okay, right? yeah, you're not going to be a, a carrier and a spreader. Exactly. Uh, Morris, I, wanna, I have to leave it there, but I want to talk briefly about yeah, your, yeah. your daughter supposed to, uh, is having oh, a communion tomorrow, is she? You heard, you heard about this? I heard the story, go on. Uh, oh God, yeah. And my, my heart goes out to the, to the girls in Three Degrees. I've uh, spoken to them before, they're lovely people. I was that talking, that, that I was salon is an, is an essential part of the community there in Blackpool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was talking to Brenda about this this morning, yeah, but she was asking me, was I going on for, for, about my, my point here, you know, that I made yesterday. Um, but yeah, the salon burnt down last night, um, uh, and um, basically it's gone. Now, my daughter was booked in to get her hair done there, and her mother was going down as well to get her hair done, and there was makeup being done and all this, like, so... There's a bit of a predicament there, I know, like, but um, look, I, I don't know what will come of it. Yeah, we spoke We spoke to Kira on the phone, one of the owners this morning. Right. They're absolutely devastated. They're lovely girls there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you've, you've nowhere for your daughter to get the hair, the no, hair done tomorrow. I don't think so, no. Well, no. I tell you what, right? Um, Shannon O'Brien, the owner of Blush on Blarney Street, 
has yeah. kindly offered to look after them for the communion tomorrow. That's your your daughter oh. and your wife. Okay, so very big hearted oh, gesture there. Great. And that was all organised by by Brenda Dennehy. Uh, okay, she's, so she's, she's the hair expert. Star. She's an absolute star. Well, she is, I suppose, that chair, yeah. They, they call her Rapunzel in the office, right? Because she spends more on her hair than the GDP of a small nation. <laughs> and she's sorted right, you out. So, well done to big-hearted Shannon right. O'Brien, the owner of Blush on Blarney Street, looking Blush after the girls. Blush on Blarney Street, right to our... Okay, I'll, I'll we'll, 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 we'll hook you guys up, all right? Thanks very much, Mick. You're a star, boy. Thanks, Thanks, Morris. The Neil Prenderville Show. With Tesco. Save time and shop online. Simply log on to tesco.ie. Now, oakfirepizza.ie is a made-in-Cork success story. West Cork roots, uh, Oakfire Pizza opened as a takeaway in Bandon in 2015, quickly converted to a fast, casual bistro-style experience, uh, experience and opened a second Bandon location in 2017. By 2018, had a flagship Cork City presence, and they are our hosts for Free Food Friday, each and every Friday here on the Neil Prendival Show. Oakfire Pizza, Prince Street, Clonakilty and Bandon. We're going to sort you out for lunch, uh, you and your team, uh, next week. And uh, we're working a week in advance so we can get it to you, the hottest and freshest from one of the locations, okay? Free Food Friday. Uh, this is Linda from Hickey's Pharmacy on Gronabroha Road. We'd love to win the Free Food Friday, please. Ka- Catherine Ahern here from Doodlebugs Crash in Montessori. We'd love Free Food Friday for all our amazing staff. I'd love to win the food for Enniskeen Post Office. We'd love a Friday treat. We're working Working really hard, so between the office and delivery staff, it would be a fab treat for us and all our families. That's from Cathy. The teachers in Douglas Community School would love some pizza, especially Mr. Lynch. Hi Mick, we would love the Oak Fire Pizza. We're an absolute, we are absolute flowers in y'all. Next weekend was meant to be my hen. With COVID, it's been pushed out, so it'd be lovely to have a treat to mark the weekend with my staff and the staff of the businesses around us. Happy Friday from Pam and the team. Hi, we'd like to put our name in the hat for the Oak Fire Pizzas. We're all working in the Cope Foundation in Glasheen. It would be great to have this treat. Hey, Mick, pampered Paul's dog grooming in Middleton here. Our customers would be in for a nice treat if we won today. Hi, Mick, could I please nominate the amazing staff of Ghoul's Vet Clinic in Mahon for Free Food Friday, please? Thanks so much, says Kira. Impact Ireland Metals in Glanmire would love it as well. Uh, I'd like to nominate the amazing staff of St. Joseph's School in Riverstown, Glanmire for some pizza. I'm a very grateful student, Sean Hennessy, in fifth class, who has Miss Tracy as his teacher. Catherine, here I would love to nominate my workplace, Alida Systems in McCroom, for Oak Fire Pizza. We worked hard all through COVID, and we deserve a treat. Mary McGough here from Argus Mahon Point, working hard, serving our customers while following all the social distancing rules since lockdown restrictions were lifted. Uh, Chris Davison here. Uh, the staff in Davison's Craft Butchers, Montanati, would love lunch. We are working so hard. I'm a cove man myself. Uh, like yourself, Mick. Okay, we'll get back to more of those as the program goes on. Oak Fire Pizza. Now, we've got an email uh, which uh, starts like this, and this one is bound to uh, tug at the heartstrings and maybe cause a little frustration, even a little anger, or maybe a little understanding. I don't know. Dear, uh, dear Miguel, uh, I feel I have to write to you over an argument I had with my daughter recently. And as I write, I do so with the uneasy feeling that I may have overreacted. My daughter, not yet 21, came home last Friday with the news that her best friend, just turned 21, had met a boy in a pub stroke restaurant at her recent party of six friends, organised to respect the current social distancing guidelines. That's great, said I. What's he like? And amid the colourful description that young ladies can give to good-looking young men, she added the line, He's 23 and he has a child. I nearly gasped, but recovered my composure enough to blurt out, What? She continued as though it was a totally normal course of events. I told her, if you ever came home with a boy who already had parented a child, I would show you the door. An enormous argument ensued. 
which, to be honest, made me feel that maybe I was taking things too far. After all, it's unlikely to happen. But I had opened the argument from which it was hard to back down. How can you discriminate against an innocent child? My daughter almost screamed at me. How do you expect a young man to do anything but put his child first and you second? I almost screamed back at her. The debate went on. Me simply trying to get across that all I wanted would be the best for my daughter. And she called me a prude, a dinosaur, and so out of touch. I'm sure the young man is a fine lad and a good father, but as a single mum myself and having struggled to raise two children alone for many years, all I want is the best start in life for my children. I just don't think being burdened with someone else's child uh, does not make, I just think it does not make for a stable or equal relationship because she would, I feel, always come second, which I admit is the natural thing. If I met someone else, my kids would always come first, but they're mature and any potential partner I would get involved with would know exactly where they stood. I am now a roller coaster of emotions, of guilt, confusion and regret at having argued with one that I love the most about something that matters most to every parent, a child. Am I a prude? Am I right? Am I totally out of touch? Please help. I'm losing sleep over this and I want to make things right and apologise to my daughter if I've been insensitive and cruel. I'm in bits here. Please keep my name off the air to protect all involved. That's a very powerful email. Uh, your thoughts and comments on it are welcome. one 86 by text 8104106. And you can, of course, email as this lady did, neil at redfm.ie. Now, back to our phone lines. Good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning. Hi, Mick. Now, we're going to talk about school and school restrictions. Tell me about the restrictions at the school that your children go to. Okay. Well, I'm ringing really just to sort of highlight um, a situation where um, a number of parents have had to take their children out of a school because of um, because of concerns for their well-being. And um, my, I'm one of um, six families that have left a school in the last um, academic year, 2019-2020. And we've taken our children out as a last resort. It wasn't something we wanted to do. It wasn't something we wanted for our children, for, for anybody. But um, we were left with very little choice. Um, the situation in the school was deteriorating. And we contacted board of management, we contacted department, the inspectorate, teaching council, and nobody was willing to help us. Nobody, everyone passed on the book to the other, the other organization or the other partner in education and mm-hmm. nobody took responsibility or tried to, to help us. Um, in the situation that we found ourselves in. So the restrictions and in the school include children in first and second class being kept in from playtime. There's absolutely. no no PE on Fridays and the children have to wait until a break time to go to the yes. bathroom. Doesn't that send them all to the bathroom together? So, um, yeah, you know, the teacher in question said that, oh, they're all well trained now, no more than myself. They hang on until until break time. That's not healthy. No, not at all. That caused all, all sorts of problems, psychological and physical. So these are like, um, you know, this is a hint of, of, you know, times gone by that we, you know, we shouldn't find ourselves in this situation, um, you know, in, in 2019 and 2020. Um, you know, this is archaic. You know, it's, it's, it's not putting the child first. It's not, you know, ensuring the well-being of the child. It, it's not good for, you know, anybody involved. And we've 
we've done our level best. We were involved with the parents association. We try to work as partners with the staff and with the board of management in the school. We try to be as constructive as we could possibly be within, you know, um, the avenues that we had, you know, and we just, um, we were unable to, you know, achieve any sort of improvement or we were unable to, you know, and, you know, our children's situation wasn't getting any better and we, we used this as a last resort and we left the school and we are one of six families who've done that, but we are one of 25, um, we are one of 25 children that have left in the last few years. And, you know, this person, well, there's a number of, of reasons for this. Um, okay, let, let's not identify anybody by name here now. No, there's no, no, no point. No. Even. And, 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 and it's not one person, as I say, it's the system. You know, so, but there are individuals in that system, but um, there is no need for me to name them. They're, they're all part and parcel of a culture where um, children were not being looked after. And things like, um, you know, bullying wasn't being managed proper, properly. Um, they brought in a school uniform without consulting parents, a uniform that is extremely expensive, one that you can't buy in Dunn's. Um, and that's completely against department guidelines. Um, uniforms are meant to be affordable for parents, and especially with parents with more than one child in the family. I'm, I'm not sure so, they're we- wearing uniforms unless they're washed every day, which is kind of an f- impossibility, uh, are the best yeah, way to contain a pandemic in, in a school setting. I think, pe- I think children should wear five different sets of clothes, one for each day, uh, that have been freshly washed, because the, the virus can live on cotton and can live on fabric. Uh, yeah, if, if, um, if they're I not washed. We're, we're talking about, um, you know, the last couple of years. Um, we've, we've since left the school since, um, and we're now in new schools. Uh, six families have left and we're now in new schools. So we were forced to leave because we weren't, um, you know, it was very difficult for us to, to let our children into the school every day, knowing that they weren't getting PE knowing that um, uh, the, you know, drinking water within school became an issue at one stage, but thankfully that was resolved. Um, and, you know, going to the bathroom, um, you know... When, when was all this taking place? Was it recently? This is continuously for the last few years. In oh, okay, school. so it's not, not just COVID-related? Not just COVID-related, no. This is this is um, an ongoing issue um, where... You know, there's just a general lack of cooperation with parents on on trying to resolve issues within the school and parents having to resort to the, you know, the final resort, which is to pull their children out of a school due to, you know, issues where just uh, children's children being kept in at playtime is just utterly archaic. It's a it's it's not the right approach to dealing with children who don't finish work on time. Getting homework with it for an hour plus for first and second class um, is just ridiculous. You know, uh, like there's guidelines on how much homework they should get um, for for first and second, and it's 20 minutes at night. And if the children didn't have their work done, um, they, they wouldn't go to school. My son sat outside crying in the car one morning because he hadn't his reading done. Well, that and seems like a very restrictive teacher. environment for, for to foster any very, sort of 
education. Yeah, exactly. And the, the children were scared to go into school if they hadn't something finished. And even I wrote a note once to say, look, my son hadn't got his homework finished. Please excuse him. And um, it was she didn't accept that. Okay. The lady in question. Okay, I, look, I, I don't want to get into too many specifics, but how, how are they doing now? They're much happier. They're much happier now because they don't have the same fear of going to school. Um, you know, they, they're enjoying going to school now. They know they're going to have PE twice a week now. They know that they're going to be treated fairly. They're not going to be humiliated in any way if they do something wrong, which children have to learn how to behave. And school is, is, you know, one of the ways in which they learn how to behave properly. And if they're humiliated every time they do something wrong, they're, they're going to learn, you know, that it, it's, you know, that they're bad if, if they do something wrong, not that their behavior is bad, you know, they're learning, the, they're getting the wrong messages. You know, basically children had no voice. They weren't the center. No, it wasn't a child, you know, children come first. You know, and we, we build around that and, and, and they wouldn't work with us to resolve any issues that arose within the school. And we contacted the Board of Management with letters and complaints and we contacted the, the Bishop's Secretary for Education and, you know, he stepped in a couple of times, but for the black and white issues, for things like... Um, there was a public vote for the Parents Association and the school didn't want that to happen. But he stepped in and vote counted, you know, publicly, which was according to the rules. OK, so we're looking here really at restrictions from an Ireland of old uh, and, and they should have no place in, in today's education exist. system. And this is the sad thing. How come they still exist and how come the system isn't set up for someone to be accountable for, you know, running a regime like this. This is like, you know, times have passed that we, we don't, we, you know, n- nobody enjoyed education. I'm reminded of the, of the headmistress in, in Matilda. Was it Miss Trunchbull or Miss Trunchable or something? Yeah. And, you know, it's just surprising that this exists and then the parents have to go to the extreme decision of taking their children out because they know there's going to be no comeback. There's nowhere to go to find, you know, a resolution. There's no one to help us. Nobody's willing to help us because there's, the system isn't foolproof. There's loopholes. But you, well, you, you've everyone, moved on as a family and your children, they've moved on as well. So We have, but just this September, it's still very, you know, um, while we're happy now where we are, it was a very difficult decision to, to pull our children out of the school, you know, where they had their friends established. Yeah. You know, they had a routine. You know what it's like if... It's the last thing you want to do um, is is to pull your children out of the school that they know, the familiar, and um, so we just we just wanted, you know, to to highlight that parents don't have anywhere to go. They say you can go to the inspectorate. They say you can go to the board of management. They say you can go to the bishop's secretary. But at the end of the day, nobody helped us. We've moved on because moved nobody on, yeah. helped us. Well, I, I hope by giving voice to your concerns in the air today, it's helped a little bit anyway. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And if anybody out there, you know, um, knows or, you know, maybe has been in the same situation, maybe they might, you know, you know, because I think it's very isolating this experience when you have to, when you have to make a decision, such a big decision as this, you know, and it's nice to share it with others. Okay. 
Well, decision made. You've, you've moved on. The kids have moved on. But I, I think the problems probably continue to persist. Maybe other parents could get in touch. Uh, we haven't mentioned the school, but if you know what it is, you know where it is, and, and you're involved, yeah. and you're more than welcome to contact the program. Thanks very much, Thank Elizabeth. Thank you, Mick. Thank That's you very it. much. Bye-bye. Uh, uh, Thanks, bye-bye. Now, we spoke to Ty during the week about uh, a complaint on the RSA. Uh, the poor man was very upset uh, by the treatment that his wife had gotten, and I'll give you an update on that in a moment. But first of all, this email uh, regarding motoring. Hi, Mick. I was considering your radio, radio program regarding insurance companies in Ireland, and what about this for an idea? that the state take over all third-party insurance within the state. How would this work? I hear you scream. Quite simply, charge an extra tax percentage on the fuel or on the mileage on electric cars. So everybody who drives is insured. There are no more uninsured drivers. The more they drive, the more it costs. The more fuel they use, the more it costs. I.e., one, learner drivers, up to a maximum one-litre engine. Novice driver, up to 1.2-litre engine. Three, fully qualified drivers, with driver's license more than two years and less than five years, move up to a 1.6 engine, etc. Fully qualified drivers with full license over five years and a clean license uh, get a bigger engine again. All drivers to be loaded with more than five points. Uh, all points and monetary conviction penalties to be paid by the state insurance company. Increase the fines and penalties to cover the risks. Not. We should not be paying penalties to private insurance companies for points we get on the road. Uh, we know how the markets work. Uh, we know how to get the best deals for you. That's what uh, they're saying. But this information should be in the public domain so everyone can see how their insurance quotes uh, and what the, the insurance quotes are based on. And it comes from this simple premise. Car insurance is compulsory in Ireland, so the state should take over the running of it like they do in America. The public are being fleeced. The options that should be available to motorists are, one, the state charge an extra percentage on fuel, to cover basic third-party insurance. So the more you drive, the bigger the engine, the more you pay. Then motorists can pay top-up insurance from private companies for comprehensive cover or for fire and theft. The cost of this should not be that that much as the insurance company is only covering the write-off value of the vehicle, less the scrap value and less the devaluation of the vehicle. You can have professional drivers and business-registered drivers use their fuel VAT receipts to offshoot, uh, offset some of the annual revenue and tax charges. Uh, so non-insured drivers, we're already paying a percentage for them. The PMPA bailout, the Quinn bailout and the Satanta bailout along with others. Uh, the state has an insurance board in place to adjudicate on inquiries. So why not let them take over all the insurance, put a little bit of tax on the fuel and stop the uh, incessantly rising insurance costs? We're already paying them and they're already doing some of the work. This will be simple to operate and simple to execute. So says Colm Keneally, who is the owner of Ace Driving School and who knows uh, more than a little bit uh, about driving. Now, to the subject of driving and back to Tig. Tig, welcome back to the programme. Hello. Hi, Tig. How are you? Sorry, Michael. Sorry. Yeah, no, you know, if, if people are just hearing you for the first time, just to recap, your spouse returned from the United States, has been driving in New York and had been driving for 20 years in the challenging New York environment. Uh, and because of extortionate insurance costs, she decided to try and get an Irish driving license. Between the jigs and the reels, uh, she didn't bring a document with her to the Skibbereen Test Centre. Uh, and the person there, uh, who we, we're not going to name, of course, uh, that person there refused to ha- cooperate in any way with getting her a, t- a test. Would that be a fair reflection yeah, of what happened? A decent assessment, yeah. Yeah, okay. And so you had to go for an operation in the north and then book a taxi to get you all the way home. Um, right, yeah. What, what other, uh, other impact has her not having a driving license had in your life? Well, we, we simply couldn't go because I, 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 I have a six-week recuperation period 
and during that time I, I can't sit in a car even and and my wife can't drive so we're we're relegated uh, Michael to staying home and asking friends to get groceries for us take us to the doctor uh, all kinds of situations that develop in a home we're, we're really we're screwed we're, we're in a rural area without bus service uh, anything like that and it's it's just uh, I mean what the RSA dumped in our lap is 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 uh, it's very punitive. Uh, we've had calls during the week, uh, and I know I mentioned our own uh, personal situation where we had to drive to Castle Bar uh, to get the license hearing, uh, even though that license is printed in Cork, I believe. We've had people on about the NDLS. Uh, we've had calls about the theory test, which if you book it right now for a young person, uh, the first available appointment in Cork is next March, uh, and so on. And you were also on the call uh, saying, how come these government agencies cannot interconnect Communications-wise, how come they're not all joined it's, it's, up electronically? It's insane. You know, the one agency can't send an email. 20th century technology. Send an email to another saying you're fully qualified to go and do your test, and that's it. Instead of handing you a letter from one agency to transport, basically, and give it to another agency, it's an archaic system. Companies don't operate like that anymore. You have to streamline your system and use 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 the internet. Yeah, and to actually impose this kind of thing where you have to bring a letter. But we're elderly people. If we, if we mislay a letter or whatever, we're screwed then. Our 85 euros has gone down this money. Uh, and, and then we've got to go through the hassle of another wait. And now with this pandemic, an extremely long wait. So it's, it's a real cock-up in terms of their, their ability to, to carry on an efficient business. And plus, why, why are there two agencies, Michael? NDLS and RSA. Why do I have two agencies for one specific task? getting a license. It doesn't make sense. Okay, well, we try to make some sense of it, and as, as we often do, uh, the producers here on the Neil Prendleville Show are very big-hearted people. Seamus Whelan went after your case with the RSA, okay? And we have this response from them, Tyke. Uh, thank you for your query about the correspondent who asked about uh, taking a driving test, and it was not conducted because documentation was incomplete. I agree that some of the paper transactions that happen seem to be burdensome, and yes, it can be frustrating when systems don't speak to each other in a more seamless fashion. We are actually about to change the particular requirement complained of, and we're putting in place an automatic update to avoid the need for the customer uh, to advise the driver testers. So some progress there, Tig. But here's uh, what's good. For, here, this is good for you, okay? While we did ask uh, the customer to do that in this case, as the new system is not yet in place, I am happy as a goodwill gesture to arrange another test for the lady concerned. And I'm assuming uh, that that will be at no charge, okay? I'm assuming that now. Uh, if you're able to pass on the necessary details, we'll follow up directly with her. So we've done our part. We're not guaranteeing that she'll pass the test, okay? Yeah, absolutely. I understand. She's got to do her part now. I had to thank you, Michael. That is absolutely super. Uh, and, and you know what? I, I, I complain. When I complained to them, they defended their policy. And now there is somewhat of an acknowledgement that they were incorrect in the way they, they were doing business. So you've, you've, you've really pulled out all the stops and, and worked wonders. Well, uh, and, 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 and we're indebted to you. No, no problem. We, we, Seamus will take it from here. We'll get the, uh, the relevant details onto the RSA. We'll get the test uh, organized in, a, in as timely a fashion as we can. Uh, and then it's over really to you and your wife. Uh, but we do wish you the very best of luck uh, in her getting her full license. All right, Tyke? You are the best, Michael. You are the best.
No problem. Thank you very much. Have a good morning. Ever so much. Thank Cheers. Bye bye. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851-04106. Red FM. And it's Mick Mulcahy on the Neil Prendival Show this week and next as Neil takes his uh, well-deserved two-week break. Now, it's always nice to bring an update to a situation we covered on the programme. Uh, and I want to reread this email before we come back to the topic. Uh, hi, Mick. Hope you're well. I'm writing uh, to you as we feel incredibly disappointed with the way a church in Cork treated our family. Our son had a confirmation Tuesday, September 15th. Prior to the confirmation, we received a letter from the priest saying only two adults per child can attend the ceremony. I rang the priest to discuss the situation our family was in. We have a daughter of 10 uh, years of age and I asked if we can bring her with us. We're not originally from Cork. We don't have any family here. As the ceremony was during working hours, our neighbours and friends were in work and we had no one to look after her. The response from the priest was so cold and without any compassion or understanding. He only stated he couldn't do anything about it and that she couldn't come. We asked a few other friends, but as everyone was working, we ended up bringing her with us. There was uh, one more family in a similar situation. The lady standing in the church door refused to let both children in. It was exactly the same behaviour as the priest. Cold, without any heart, compassion, understanding. Really cruel. As a result, my husband had to stay with our daughter outside and my son was deprived of the right to have both parents at his confirmation ceremony. The explanation we received was that it was government policy to only allow two adults for the confirmation. Now, I could not find this policy anywhere, and I do know that our friend's son had confirmation in a different church a few weeks back, and both parents and his younger brother were at the ceremony. Did the government instruct different policies for different churches? Also, there were 60 people during a confirmation. As far as I'm aware, only 50 were allowed. So the policy was being broken anyway. Letting in two small kids to the church for the families that had no other choice but to bring them wouldn't do any difference to anyone inside the church. It was pure willingness and a good heart that was absolutely missing here. When trying to find the policy, I came across the HSE guidelines uh, for religious services signed by Dermot Martin. It clearly states that no child should be deprived from the right to have both parents at the sacrament ceremony. Is this who we've become? Cold-hearted, cruel people that are refusing small children entry to the church. Do priests and people helping in church, put guidelines above the religion itself without even offering any kind of support and understanding. Do we forget what the religion really is about? And if because of our fear, we are so scared to offer a little kindness and allow a child in the church, uh, what does this say about our faith? And so says Magdalena. And I'm joined to discuss this by Father Tom Hayes, who is the parish priest in Enniskeen. Hi, Father. Good morning, Mick. How are you? Good. I think we spoke before. Did you have a secretarial capacity to Bishop Buckley, perhaps? I was in the communications office. Right, okay. Time, Mick, yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah. Now, you feel for the person who contacted us. I do, in fairness. Uh, I can understand the sentiments of the parents, you know. There's an awful lot of parents across the diocese, actually, um, in the same dilemmas. As, to be fair, are the teachers in the schools and also the priests are part of that dilemma as well uh, because we're caught in a situation that we've never imagined or never been in before. All the priests on the ground and all the teachers and all the parents, you know, want these days to be really special for the youngsters. Unfortunately, because of the COVID, what happened was the first communion program, the first confession program and the confirmation program all got completely turned upside down. Normally at this time of the year, or normally earlier in the year rather, in our diocese, the bishop would start doing the confirmations with the help of other bishops and monsignors around the end of February, and they'd go until the, the start of May. There's that many confirmations across the diocese. All of those got 
disturbed this year. So most of them, almost all of them got postponed. So now what's going on in the parishes is there's an almighty attempt being done to catch up with all the postponed baptisms, all the postponed First Communions, all the postponed marriages, the postponed confirmations. And there's an awful lot going on, including in my own parish as well at the moment. In the midst of that then, you know, if there's only a case of catching up, we'd manage it and we'd be able to do well. The teachers in the schools, since they came back after the break, are being fabulously helpful in organising this. Because th- these, th- these are different teachers to the teachers who prepare the children for communion, correct? In, in some in, cases. In, well, in some cases, yeah. It, it, it varies a bit because, you see, some parishes might have six children. Some schools have six children for confirmation. Other parishes have over 200. So it varies an awful lot from the bigger city parishes right to the smaller rural parishes. So there's, there's a huge spread of realities. If it was only a case of deferring them and rescheduling them, we'd be grand. But everything's changed since they were postponed. Most of what's changed is the restrictions introduced by the government as a result of the COVID. So these regulations actually have not been introduced by the bishops or by the church they're actually part of the government restrictions. And they're not, to be fair to everybody, they're not the easiest to understand. Like, as priests in the diocese, we've had loads of online meetings trying to get to grips with the implications of them. Because, for example, even the most updated regulations, right, you can have 50 people at a funeral, and only 50. But on Sunday Mass, you can have up to the capacity of the church so long as social distancing is protected and so long as each group of 50 people is separated into pods. That's complicated. It's not like what parishes are used to. It's not like what families are used to. So what's happening with the confirmations is that if we take a typical primary school class, there's there's maybe 30 children, some cases more. When you put in the two parents, that's 90 people straight away. So all of a sudden, then you have to create two groups of 50. You have to separate them. And, you know, some families have children in two different classes, and there's all kinds of complications and variations. So what a lot of the parishes have done in order to contain the numbers and to make the numbers manageable and to keep everybody safe is to restrict the ceremonies to parents and the candidates only. That's what's happening in the majority. Now, that parent refers to some parishes where it's different, and of course it is, because, for example, I have one first communion ceremony coming up in a couple of weeks' time, and there are nine children in it. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't make sense to keep their siblings out because... Because you can have up to 50. Up. You can have up to 50. Whereas with a class of 30, you're in a very different scenario. Because you add in the two parents, you have 90. For confirmation, then you add a sponsor, you're up to 120. And all of a sudden, you have a big gathering coming into the church. You have a big gathering to steward inside in the church. And you have a real danger of a whole lot of people gathering excited outside the church afterwards and creating a scenario which is unsafe and unhealthy. I was at a communion last weekend, Father Tom, and and each uh, group could only be four people. So you've got two parents, the child getting communion, and one godparent. Uh, not even the, yeah. the siblings c- c- could attend. But in this particular yeah. case that, that we're talking about, and I hasten to add, we're not talking about your parish. Uh, you're from I the parish priest in Enniskeen. You're, you're, you're just calling in to, to comment on it, and I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah. this isn't about Enniskeen in any way. Uh, but in this yeah. particular case, she counted 60 people in the church. What harm would having 62 
uh, if you added two children do when you broke the 50 anyway in that church? I know, and my heart goes out to that parent given the circumstances that she outlines that was hard to her. Now, I suppose there's two parts to it. If you make an exception for one family then, the other families can justifiably say, how come he got his child in and I couldn't get mine in? And why can't I get my grandfather, who's travelled all the way from Galway, to come in when that child got in, do you know? So if you start making exceptions, now it's very hard to be that black and white. And I suppose in fairness, you know, there might have been an exception made, but I, I don't know the particular situation that was going on there. You're de- we're dealing with volunteer stewards as well. People, you know, who out of the goodness of their heart are doing this to help the parish and to keep everybody safe. So they're inclined to treat everybody the same as well and maybe not appreciate the nuance that one family might have. So, you know, at one level, it's, it's a pity and I feel sorry for that particular parent and I understand where the parent is coming from. At the same time, in the bigger picture, it's important for everybody to know that these regulations are not just being made up to be hard on people, unfortunately. Um, the priority at the moment, like, for example, there's couples in Dublin who have a wedding planned for today, for tomorrow, they're going to, it looks like they're going to be told this evening that half their guests can't attend. Yeah, it looks, it looks that way. It looks as though that's coming down the track in, in Dublin. Right. But 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 some some of the rules, uh, I'm not sure even all the churches uh, understand that you can have a number of pods of 50. Um, certainly the church I was in last weekend, there was a communion at 11 o'clock in the morning, and there was a communion at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and there was christenings yeah. at 4 o'clock. Um, so you can have... A number of pods of 50 if the church is big enough to accommodate it, but there has to be 12 feet between the pods. And within the pod, right. there's one family per pew, and you have to have a two-foot distance between the pews. Uh, that means rearranging the whole church. It does. And it, and it actually, there's a technical nuance in that, Mick. It's actually a household per pew. It's not a family. So if somebody brings a grandparent and the grandparent isn't living in the same house, they have to go to another pew. Right, okay. So... People from the same household may sit together. And is there anyone policing the churches? Are the guards coming in and checking with measuring tapes or anything? They're not, no, to be fair. But um, to be honest with you, I think, like, I've been in a good few churches now since we introduced the safeguarding and since we reopened the churches for worship. And the parishes and the volunteers and the parish councils and parish assemblies have put in extraordinary effort. There's people Sunday after Sunday, Saturday after Saturday, sanitizing the whole church stewarding. the whole the thing whole has to be church. sanitized after a service doesn't the whole it whole church has to be sanitized so if you have a ceremony at 11 and another one at 2 the church has to be sanitized in between and there are people doing this voluntarily which is an extraordinary act of goodness you know and isn't it's not easy there's a lot in it and um it's just seriously unprecedented and i know you know a lot of people might turn up then for one ceremony and they they don't understand maybe what's going on in the background and all the planning and working that has to be done. Um, you see, one of the things that struck us immediately when we went back to the churches is that the social distancing actually has a huge impact because the, our pews in most of the churches are reasonably long, but you can only sit three people in them now in a long pew, keeping them two metres apart. Then if you block off the pew in front and the pew behind, you now have three people sitting where maybe there was 15 sitting before. Okay, so you've got capacity problems the same as uh, as the hospitality sector, really. Uh, you really Absolutely. have to 
and sanitizing problems uh, because because there's so so much surface to sanitize after each one. A text, yeah. uh, Father Tom, with regard to the lady that emailed about their child's Holy Communion, I think she was aware the other siblings weren't allowed, but she took that child anyway. Now you'd probably have 58 other emails complaining they all had to leave their kids at home and she rocks up with hers and was left in. I think the, the unique situation here is that there was nobody to mind the child. At the same time, I suppose, and I don't want to be hard on, the, on that parent because I don't know the parents, but, um, you know, most of the school the schools are, send, are giving at least two weeks' notice now for these ceremonies. Yeah, why weren't so the First the, Communion given more notice, by the way? The confirmation was given a month's notice. I, I think part of what's going on is that some of the parishes now are trying to get the ceremonies done while the weather is reasonably okay, and they're trying to do the, con- the communions first. And, at, and let the confirmations until next. So there's a bit more space between the notice for the confirmations. Okay. And also the schools, you know, are only just back about two weeks. So most of the parishes didn't want to try and get the schools to work on this for the first week or two back because the schools have also had a nightmare job trying to manage their responsibilities to the children and the parents. So a lot of the parishes skipped the first two weeks of September to give the schools a chance to get them settled in because they have to do all these pods and distancing and groupings and bubbles and a whole lot of stuff in the schools as well and fair play to the teachers I mean the teachers went in way way back into the holidays to get the schools ready I I saw that in my own parish Um, you know the teachers were into the schools in the start of August having meetings planning where the pews or the seats were going to go where the desks were going to go moving around the computers Okay, so it's it's not easy on all concerned. And we thank you for the clarity. Father Tom Hayes, uh, Enniskeen Parish Priest, thank you for coming on and giving us that update. Uh, One quick call, final call on the topic, and that's from Colette. Hi, Colette. Hi, good morning. How are you? Good. Daughter making confirmation tomorrow? Yes, I I have. We have our daughter. She's now in sixth class in uh, Kerry Pike School. And tomorrow is her confirmation day. Um, going back to the person that emailed you there, I mean, I understand it's it's difficult. We had initially a fifth and sixth class last March, but because of the lockdown, then our confirmations have been divided into four separate um, times. So there were two to place last week in Clahine Church, and the other two are tomorrow, 10 o'clock and 11.30. Um, look, it has to be done. I mean, I suppose we're... There's a bit of disappointment that you can't have all your friends together and mm-hmm. the social distancing aspect. But I mean, the bigger picture is number one, where the priests and the schools have been so accommodating, getting it, getting us prepared for the confirmation. So I suppose the bigger picture is we're getting ready and we're having confirmation. You're having it anyway. It's it's split in four, but that's we're a small price it. to pay. Yes. And how many it's people from your family are allowed to attend the church? It's 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 just uh, two parents, uh, both parents, and one of the parents has to be the sponsor. And like saying that, to be fair to the school, they, we have a map where to sit. So again, our, our church is quite small. Out in Clahine, you'd have um, you'd have three in a seat and skip a seat, and then you have three. So it's a family. So it's and we're all we have our map, so we're alphabetical. So we know where we're sitting. We know where uh, the kids for it to be confirmed. Then just go into the centre of the aisle. So it's I suppose look. The school, the teachers, and the the priests are doing their best. It's what has to be done in the bigger picture. Okay, you that's, know, f- that's fair enough. That's and, and at least yeah. you're you're giving us some picture as to the amount of organisation that goes into being compliant. 
Yes, it's, there's a huge organisation behind the scenes, to be fair. Um, even from the church point of view, uh, you know, the church has opened up and the first, we're at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning and then the next half of the class, the second part, the second half of the alphabet, they're at 11.30. So there's a cleaning process, as Father Tom Hayes said, there's a cleaning process, there's sanitising, there's making sure everybody just that we don't stop and talk. We've been advised to wear a mask going in, keep them on. The children don't have to wear their masks and the parent has to, one of the parents has to be the sponsor as well. A r- restaurant so or home setting know. afterwards? A restaurant, yes. That was another difficulty because you had to, we had to, we had to make a decision to cut. So to be fair, the place we're going has strictly said six and we're doing it because it's a bigger picture here. And, yeah, uh, bigger picture and you're playing also, by the book. I have, I have a child, I have another, uh, my daughter has her brother at home and he can't attend, but look, he just has to stay at home. My of course, all, all of the calling so. around to friends and relations houses is all out the window as well, isn't it? It's gone. Yeah, yeah it's gone. And But look, we're getting it done. So that's okay. the, you great know, stuff. We have to. Lovely. Thanks, Colette. Thank you very much. Thank you very Good much. Thank you. Okay, we're back in a moment. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. There just isn't enough time in the three hours we're allotted. Huh? And let's get back to our Free Food Friday. And, of course, it is with Oak Fire Pizza, Cork success story. West Cork based in its roots. But Oak Fire Pizza has now got its... Uh, Princess Street, Clannacilty and Bandon Outlets to sort out lunch for you and your team. This will all happen next week. We work one week behind, but we're going to gift you six large pizzas with sides, wood-fired baby potatoes and garlic bread dips, drinks and homemade mini cheesecake tasters, plus the compostable cups, cutlery and napkins, everything that you will need. And there's loads of people looking for it. Hi, Mick. Jake here at ECIJCB Carrick Tool. We're looking for lunch for 15 hardy bucks, please. We would like the free food Friday for the hardworking staff at Nurture Childcare in Black Rock. Hello all at Red FM. I'd love to win the Oak Fire Pizza Prize. My daughter's long away to communion is taking place on Saturday, September 26th. And this would be amazing for the day. Hi all at the NP Show. Neve here from Vibes and Scribes. We've worked hard throughout COVID and lockdown looking after all our lovely customers, crafting and reading needs. We'd love and really appreciate a Friday Oak Fire Pizza lunch. Thank you and stay safe. A couple more. That's from Neve. Morning Mick, my name is Breda and I am an ex-worker of St. Vincent's Residential Centre in St. Mary's Road in Cork. I wish to nominate the staff there for the pizza giveaway. That's nice of you to nominate someone else. The management staff and residents are amazing. Like all over the world, Vincent's are doing their utmost to keep everyone happy while learning to cope with COVID-19. Love the show. Hey Mick, one more. Uh, Joanne here at Select Hotels of Ireland on Mallow Road. There are 10 people working here. We're big, big, big fans. We always listen to the show. And we hope we are the lucky winners today. Now, it is coming up on six minutes to 11 o'clock and back to our phone lines and to Jerry. Hi, Jerry. Morning, Mike. Uh, you say they should look at the driving license system as well. That's right. Yeah. My license is out in the end of uh, December and I uh, contacted the driving license centre and they said there was about uh, four months waiting list. So we went, they said to go online. So we went. I went online and uh, filled all the form, went through the whole system, and there's a, there's a new thing now. There's some quotes from the government, so you have to ha- you'll get that, and it's only that for such a length of time. So we've done the whole the whole system, put a whole lot of it, and at the end of it, then they said, I have to present myself at the local centre. Waste of time. Waste of time. Okay, so the waiting list for an appointment at the centre is months, four months or so. Something like that, and... Uh, like the we it after filling the whole thing though it put a tell you move on to the next section you know 
So we did that. It takes about three quarters of an hour to do it. And when we're completely finished, then they said, you have to present yourself at the local centre. So it was a waste of time. I couldn't get my licence. Mm-hmm. And can you get through to the local centre and, and talk to an actual human being, or is it one of those dreaded no, AI no, systems? not at all. It's just a disaster. The whole thing is a disaster. So I don't know where, where I stand now with my licence. They're, they're, they're supposed to be extended or something to five or six months uh, adding the, onto your licence. You know, you don't, uh, you know, the same with the... But there's no clarity there, Jerry. Is there, do you, have, do you don't have any clarity in that, do you? No, I haven't any clarity in that section of it now, uh, Michael. I just was disgusted with the whole thing because after uh, spending all that time, my daughter did it for me. At the end of it, then just to say I have to present myself to the centre. So the NCT is the same. Uh, I'm waiting. Uh, there's a four or five month delay in the NCT as well. So, you know, uh, I've an NCT due since last April, so I'm having it done now on Monday. But you'll have to get it done again in March again. You know, so it's ridiculous. The whole thing has gone haywire, you know. Okay. Uh, so um, we've been covering this during the week and it seems as though there's some sort of action taking place now within the RSA to make it a more streamlined process. It, it's, it's nothing short of harrowing at the moment to try and navigate yeah, yourself through the driving licence, driving test system and to come out the other end as, as a fully-fledged driver with a licence. Yeah, no, they have all my details. I have a license with over 50 years, you know, and they have all the details up in, the, up in their screens. So I, I don't understand why they, I, I couldn't proceed with the whole thing, you know. Yeah, do you know how long I was waiting yesterday on, online with this incessant, you know, do you know you can do your business online? No, I want to speak to a human being. 57 minutes uh, onto, yes. onto one of the telephone providers. It really, it, it, it infuriates me that you can't get to speak to a human being when you make a phone call to speak to one. Jerry, got to go. Thanks a million. Okay, Thanks. Thank you very much. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye. One little uh, statement to read before we go to news. Cork Airport's Managing Director, Niall McCarthy, has said it is vital that the government moves to reopen international travel safely and that the industry and government collaborate on restoring passenger confidence in travel to address the current crisis in aviation, tourism and hospitality. 104 to 106 Red FM. This is the Neil Frienderville Show. Well, we've asked you who you are, where you work, and why you want us to pick you for free food. Friday, it is with Oak Fire Pizza on Princess Street, Clannacilty and Bandon. We're going to sort out lunch for you. We're working a week behind because we want to get these stuff to you fresh. And what mouth-watering stuff it is. It's six large pieces with sides, wood-fired baby potatoes, and garlic bread dips and drinks. Homemade mini cheesecake tasters, plus all of the compostable cups, cutlery and napkins that you'll need. Oakfirepizza.ie spreading the passion for real wood fire pizza since 2010. Uh, and we have uh, the last of our mentions here and then we'll pick uh, in sometime in the next half hour or so we'll pick the winner. Uh, but let's get through with a lot of people to get through here to mention. Laura Jones here working in the Fra- in Francis Hegarty and co-accountants in Glanmire. We're very busy with the upcoming tax deadline. This would be a lovely Friday treat. MP Crowley in Hobbs Yard in Curraheen. Uh, we're only over the road from Red FM and lunch would be nice for today as we're celebrating one of our mechanics' birthday today. But it'll be next Friday you'll be getting it if you, if you win. Uh, Ned Dorney is turning a big, big milestone birthday uh, today. So happy birthday to you, Ned. Uh, that's from Joe Ronan. Hi, Mick. Georgia Regan here from Euro Car Parts and Dukloin Industrial Estate. We love some pizza. Happy Friday. We'd love the Oak Fire Pizza. We listen every day in Calnan Containers in Glanmire. Uh, Claire Carlisle here, a nurse on Colin Patrick Street. We'd love some pizza for Free Food Friday. Leah O'Sullivan in Apple on Lavitt's Key. We'd love the treat. Please, please, can we put uh, our name in the hat to win the lunch? We're very hungry here in Unique Fit House 
in Glanmire. Hi Mick, we would love lunch for the brilliant staff in Dunamore Family Resource Centre in Dunamore. NGC Construction working hard in Ladies Bridge would enjoy the free food Friday. The hard-working staff at the Rat Peak and Fireplaces in Hollymount Industrial Estate are hungry and would love lunch free food Friday please for Styles Hairdressers in Grona Broher. AP Vaughan Recycling in Tower would love free food Friday for lunch as well. Hiya, my name is Nicola O'Driscoll. I don't work there but I want to nominate Germany Dental Practice on Evergreen Road, Turner's Cross, for the Free Food Friday because they're absolutely simply the best. They are wonderful and they're very good to me. You couldn't find nicer people and they're very hard working. They also keep me smiling. They also love listening to your show and I'd love if they won. Thanks. Nice for you to nominate somebody else. Hey, Mick, we'd love to win the Free Food Friday for all the guys at the Naval Base in Hull Bolin, uh, the Naval Base Hospital in Hull Bolin, working hard in these challenging times. Hi, Mick, we'd love the pizzas here in Bulmers, Ireland, 22 Eastgate Drive in Little Island. I forgot my lunch and I'm starving. Says Brian Higgins. Hi, Mick and the Red FM crew. We're constantly starving here at the bike shed, Dennehy's Cross, because we work so hard. We've had a crazy summer selling and servicing bikes in the COVID bike boom. So uh, thanks so much to all of our amazing customers who've supported us and who've been so patient during this crazy time. We love Corks Red FM and come on the Rebels from all the lads at the bike shed. And two more. Hi, I want to nominate my favourite hairdressers, Hair and Beauty Tory Top Road in Ballyfehan because they're absolutely amazing and very understanding and very welcoming. They're very good to myself and my mum and they're, uh, they make us feel beautiful and brighter coming out after getting our hair done. I really would love if they won the Oak Fire Pizza. And one final one for now. Uh, we'll pick a winner between now and uh, 11.45 or so. We listen to the show every day. We'd love some pizza here in the Animal Health Laboratories in Bandon. We have worked tirelessly through this pandemic to keep farms going, as well as testing for COVID-19. We'd be so happy to win the pizza from Oak Fire. We love it. Thanks, Mick, from Helen and the team. And we'll pick our Oak Fire pizza winners between now as I, and, as I say, 11.45 or so. Now then, back to our phone lines and to Georgina. Hi, Georgina. Hi. Hi. Now, I read out an email which, uh, you know, it kind of tugs at the heartstrings. You wouldn't, I don't know which way to feel about it, to be honest. Um, but you want to get in touch on the lady that uh, sent in the email regarding the 23-year-old uh, who had a dad. My daughter, not yet 21, came home last Friday with the news that her best friend, just turned 21, had met a boy in a pub restaurant at a recent party of six friends. Uh, what's he like? I said, and uh, he, amongst the description... That young ladies can give to good-looking young men. She added the line, he's 23 and he has a child. And a big argument ensued. Where do you stand on it, Georgina? I I completely agree with her daughter with her saying that she's living in the dinosaur age. Like, it's, this is a hard reality, I suppose, for myself personally. As in my email, I fell pregnant at 15. I gave birth at 16. I had a big circle of girlfriends ever before I fell pregnant. But when I fell pregnant, their parents had them opinions of me personally. And then just the backlash that young, the young generation that do fall pregnant do receive from older parents. They're, the, the comments, the judgments, you know, it, most growing adults find it difficult to rear a child, to go through pregnancy, to go through the hormonal changes. But when you're a teenager and you're trying to figure out yourself, you're trying to figure out your body, you're you're already an emotional wreck ever before pregnancy hits. And to be dealing with comments and judgments, you know, you've ruined your life, you've thrown your life away, you all the negative comments, they're they're uncalled for. You know, at the end of the day, everyone needs support. I personally gave birth young and I stand as a proud mum. I've done a good job with my kid. My son needs for nothing, wants for nothing. But more more of my success with my son was to 
get back at the parents who told me I couldn't do it or mm. call me names or past comments about, you know, what way I was. I'm still with my son's dad. Um, fortunately, I was one of the lucky ones. But you do, you, 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 you face an awful backlash. But for that woman to react the way she reacted, we're in the 21st century. If we if we put it into a real picture, I suppose none of us know what our kids are going to be doing in that department until they walk in that door and tell us they're pregnant. So no child is an angel. We've all been teenagers. It's part of life. It's something everybody is going to do. So for her naive Eve to say my daughter won't walk in like that or my daughter won't have a partner, what really struck me in that email was the fact that that, that young guy, he's twenty three. But he's standing up to his responsibility. He's 23. He's a dad. He sees his daughter. He needs to be praised for that and acknowledged. Because how many? How easy is it for people to walk away from their kids? We can only make you that know? assumption through through you know through reading between the lines of the email. I think uh, that he you know he's out for a night out. He's met this girl, uh, and he has been fully forthright with her to say, "Look, I have a child." Um, now that that would give you the inference that he is active in the child's life, who knows, uh, and, but that he's moved on from the relationship which created the child, if you know what I mean. He's, 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 he's back out, but he's, he's manning up to the fact that he has a child, and it would seem from the email uh, that that's, that's what's happening. But, and, you know, I can't read any more between the lines than that. In between the lines, I, I get that, but if, for me personally, the fact that he even made the acknowledgement from the first word that he has a child, he's obviously someone that, He's proud to have that child. Mm-hmm. You know, it it was something that was brought up immediately. Normally, people would probably shy away from the fact that they have a child and kind of wait until they get to know each other to introduce the child or to involve the child. But the fact that he spoke of the child would make me assume that he is involved, actively involved. Maybe not, maybe not. But I think at the end of the day, it's the 21st century and these judgmental comments need to stop from parents about young kids getting pregnant. It, it they've not done they've not went out and committed a crime. They've done what is normal and natural to all humans, you know. And I think it's these comments that, that pull people down. They been a young parent, been any age parent is a tough job in itself. They don't need to be listening to backlash or criticism. If you have an opinion, I get that everyone's entitled to their opinion. But if your opinion isn't relevant, keep it to yourself. I I actually admire her daughter, however, the fact that her daughter did stand up to her mom and her daughter did say, you know, well, this is it. Because it, to me, it's old age parenting, I suppose, maybe because I'm a younger, younger generation parenting. Yeah, well, if, if, if you put the shoe on, on the other foot, put the shoe on the, on the other foot, Georgina, this is what she said. Uh, if you ever came home with a boy who had already parented a child, I'd show you the door. How would she feel if it was her daughter that felt pregnant and, and you know, was apart from the father of the child? Wouldn't she want her to have a good life? Wouldn't she want the father to put the child first? From that statement in itself, my personal opinion is it's all about it's all about what people will perceive. So it's all about the image and protecting an image. It's not about, is your daughter okay? Are you going to stand by your daughter? Are you going to be there to hold your daughter's hand? My mom didn't take 
like my mom didn't wrap her arms around me and tell me that, oh yes, this is fine, we're going to do it. She was disheartened, she was upset, of course. But she gave me every option and everything was my choice. My mom had never said to me, you're, go- you're leaving my house. My mom stood by me the whole way through my pregnancy. Even today, my mom has been phenomenal in the upbringing of our son. She, and both sides, even my husband's parents, have been absolutely amazing on both sides of the family. And that's what makes, that's what makes it that little bit easier because you still have the judgments from the outside. But when you have the support on the inside, that overshadows all that judgment. So for that woman, like if her daughter did walk in the door, my heart would probably go out to her daughter to just, uh, what, what is she going to face? But she is she now. She, she's now the roller coaster of emotions. Not the not the uh, the daughter. Emotions of guilt, confusion, and regret at having argued with one that I love the most about something that matters most to every parent, a child. And she did uh, write in her email that she's a single parent herself. Uh, and I get that it's single parenting, whether it's with one or with both, it's still a difficult task. It's a full time job. It gets harder as they get older. But you still, you still have to support your child. You can't say, "I couldn't turn around, turn around and say to my son, if you brought, if you came home at sixteen or if you came home at seventy, fifteen or fourteen, and told me that you were going to be a father, I am going to show you the door and I am going to block you from contact." That's 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 not parenting. How, how many of your own friends stood by you back, back in the day? Hello, uh, Georgina. Just one one friend, was it? And and do you think? One friend. Do you think the friends that didn't stand by you were doing that at the you know at at the behest of their parents? Oh, for sure. Because I had these, I had the comments directly from the parents themselves. They would pass dry comments when I was walking past, calling me all sorts um, due to the fact that I was pregnant. But that one friend that stood by me through that time. Her mother had the same opinion as every other parent, every other friend's mother. My friend stood up for me and she stood up to her mom. And she, she shunned what her mom had taught and her mom's opinions because it didn't matter what they, they had taught or what their opinions were of me. She knew me as old. Still friends? You no, know, I were still the best of friends. And uh, how old is your own child now? 16. 16. So are you like buddies now rather than like. Mum and child. We're the best of friends. Yeah, that that close age gap. Yeah. But again, that's that's coming, growing up with the new generation. Like, I would talk to my son very openly and very actively uh, about everything. There's there's no subject that we would shy away from, none whatsoever. And that, I think, is important to kids. It's important for them to know to have that support, regardless of what situation you get into in life. We all get into situations. Everyone hits a rut in life. But it's that support. And it's knowing that you can come to someone. Which, like, being pregnant is a massive thing, but a small thing. In one sense, you can look at it. Did it change me? Of course it did. I had to grow up before my time. But I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, I, there's, I'm glad now that it did There's a hell of a lot worse things can happen in the world than a child being conceived or a child being born. You're bringing in new life. Okay, Georgina, thanks very much. Well, I want to bring in Fran- Francis here, who is a dating expert, and that's Francis Kelleher. Good morning to you, Francis. Hi, 
Hi, Mick. Thanks so much for having me. No bother. No, you can see both sides, can you? I can. I can. Because, you know, that woman, I feel she was coming from, you know, a perspective of thinking about her own hardship and stress, because it is stressful, even with two parents, you know, raising kids. But she did it alone. And, you know, she obviously made a lot of sacrifices. And I just feel it came from an emotional case of like a mother's instinct, like almost like she was speaking aloud, you know, without a filter. It just kind of you know, just came out of her immediately, her her motherly instinct, you know, wanting the best for her daughter. So, you know, I can see that side of it. Now, also, I can see the daughter's side, you know, exactly what she's saying. You know, a child is a wonderful thing. And, you know, life doesn't always work out the way we plan it. And the unexpected things that come into people's lives can be the best things that ever happened to them and, and are the best things that ever happened to them. So, you know, I feel that she was just kind of coming from a protective, motherly, you know, mama bear, as it were, um, side of things that, that, you know, to protect her daughter. And, you know, I would say, like, as well, with, you know, her fear of upsetting the daughter and all that regarding that, I would say, you know, it's how you deliver what you're saying. Like, you can still show your concern or, you know, speak your mind, give your own opinion. Everybody's entitled to their own opinion. Um, We're, you know, in a free world. But it's the way you deliver it. It's the way you communicate it. So, you know, instead of her reacting like that, she could have said what she said in the email. Mm -hmm. Because it's it's a beautifully crafted email. Uh, and and she's, she's well able to communicate, but I think she blurted out something, like Ed Sheeran said, thinking out loud. Uh, but I think it, it really came from, from a position of love and compassion and caring for her own child. It did. And that's, that's where I feel for her, because it, she's coming from a, a good place. Her heart is in the right place, you know. And really, I feel, you know, it's not about her friend and and the man the the boy she's met the man she's met she's thinking about it just from from her own like i say mama bear protecting um aspect of it for her own daughter so i do feel you know it's just the way maybe she communicated it could have been better and you know more more like i say without thinking aloud yeah can i ask you how did you get the title dating expert is it that you do a lot of it yeah, yeah, I got basically, yeah, I teach people how to date and um, what makes men tick, what makes women tick, how to build attraction, you know, how to be a, a love magnet. That That's my, my forte. <laughs> a love magnet. So what, what, <laughs> yeah. what are the tips you'd give people? Well, basically, conversation is huge. You can ignite attraction through conversation. And, you know, people kind of think, you know, listening isn't big in dating. It's all about selling yourself and talking about yourself and kind of, you know, uh, almost like advertising how good you are. But really, it's the opposite. And, you know, the example I give is look at Tom Cruise. When his fans wait three hours on the red carpet for him, he doesn't come along and say, you know, oh, you have to see the scene where I'm flying out of this building and I'm so great here. And it's all about the fans. He's taking selfies. He's saying, is this your sister? I can give her an autograph. It's all about them. So it's it's about making the other person important and really listening because everybody has a story. They want to tell it and they want someone to really hear them. Okay, I, I'm, I'm intrigued as to what your opinion might be on this online dating stuff, on the websites that put people together. 
you know, the fact that we can't or couldn't up until next Monday anyway go to the regular pubs, uh, have people an outlet for meeting each other. Uh, Is social distancing affecting dating? To be honest, Mick, it is, but people are getting out there. I, I, I even said that I was on the Elaine show on Monday and I said dating has been brilliant. Uh, sorry, COVID has been brilliant for dating. It has slowed it all down to like the old style courting where people are, have to communicate more. People have told me the dates they're on are better because people have to communicate more. All the matchmakers have never been busier. I'm in touch with USA matchmakers, UK matchmakers, the matchmakers here in Ireland, intro in Dublin. They are doing lunch dates, dinner dates, obviously um, following the, the social distancing rules. People are getting out for walks. So it's been fantastic. And of course, like the dating apps, you know, it's so great that we had them during COVID because, I mean, like I said, Tinder's messaging went up 28% during COVID. Bumble, the biggest um, growing dating app in the world at the moment, saw a 21% increase in their video chat feature. So people have just really gone out and not let COVID stop them, gone out online, um, as it were, and connected even when we couldn't meet now. Mm. But it has been brilliant. People are reevaluating uh, their lives and making love a number one priority. Well, I, I have a friend who released an app called Leads to Love, L-E-A-D-S, number two, L-O-V, Leads to Love, and it's for doggy walking people who, uh, you know, who can walk along. The dogs can have a little chat as they walk along, and the people can interact and maybe get a little bit of romance going as well. It's a good idea, isn't it? Fantastic idea. And, you know, I've heard other people say, you know, loneliness is an epidemic at the moment. Even before COVID, it's the same now as smoking 15 cigarettes a day, research has proven. It's, it, it covers all... Uh, age groups of people. It doesn't matter if you're living rurally, if you're living urban, uh, um, you know, in the cities and urbanly. It it covers all ages and it's a huge problem at the moment. And people have even said, you know, when they've got a dog and they've gone out walking, they've made new friends. You know, even just on a friendship plane, they've met people, they've met their neighbours. Dogs are brilliant. Everybody loves dogs and they're brilliant for, you know, making communication happen. And part of the love magnet thing, is it? The doggy? Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, even, even on the dating apps, if you have a dog in your picture, you get way more likes and way more hits, way more messages. It's amazing. So if, if you have a dog, put him in the picture for, for your profile. What do you think about men who are on dating apps, who are married, but online, looking for a little bit of flirting yeah. on that? Yeah, that's, that's a form of cheating. You can dress it up any way you like, but it is. If you're on looking to see what's out there, what's better, it's what, in the, what we call in the industry micro-cheating. Micro-cheating, okay. Apparently there's yeah. loads of married men online. Yeah, there's there's an American site um, that a man set up when he actually saw all the married men that were on Tinder and all that. He set up one specially for them. So that's that's how rampant it is, you know. But it's it's basically, you know, the micro cheating. It's behaviours that hover over the boundaries in your relationship that compromise fidelity. From logging onto a dating site to see what's out there, or like creating or forging a relationship that's more emotionally and sexually charged than the typical platonic connection, you know? So, like, it, it, again, it, you know, it's a person's own opinion within the relationship. Like, some pr- people could think flirting's okay. Other people wouldn't. It, it's the real uh, crux with the micro-cheating is the deception 
the deceit, the lying, the breaking of the trust, because mm-hmm. it's very hard to get that back then. I don't think trust can ever be rewon if it's lost in, in that sort of fashion. Uh, are there many breakups these days? I suppose there are as many breakups as, as, as there are successful dates in these current times. Yeah. There are, COVID has amplified that because again, um, like I, I've spoken before on this, that basically we're in a high intensity, high pitched situation with COVID. It's unprecedented. Most of us have never gone through anything like that. Um, you know, a world pandemic. And it has really, you know, made people look at their lives, reevaluate their lives, say what's important to me. Like I said, you know, it didn't matter whether you had 10 million in the bank or no money in the bank. If you were alone, you were alone during COVID and there was nothing you could do. So even my clients have said to me, I don't want to be alone for another lockdown. They've reevaluated what's going on in their lives and made it a priority. And then on the other side of the coin, people who were forced to spend so much time together during COVID have said, you know, I can't do this anymore. If there was cracks in the relationship, it shows that up. So it's a re- it becomes, you know, a really black and white situation when you're pushed, you know, up against the wall and you're in that high um, emotional state. Okay, you've been very good to give us all the information. So give yourself a little bit of a plug there. Where can people find you and use your services? Oh, thanks so much, Mick. Um, well, I'm on www.franciskellerhercoaching.com. I'm on all platforms of social media. Um, so you can find me anywhere there. Reach out to me. I'd love to have a chat with anyone who needs help. And are you a matchmaker or just a tip giver for love? If I have, no, like I'm not a matchmaker. I'm a dating expert. But if I have people on my books that my clients that I feel would match up, of course, anything for love. Of course, I'm going to introduce them. <laughs> and one, one final question. In, in this era where equality is championed and, you know, everyone is equal now, uh, love is love. Uh, is there still an element of chivalry expected of a gentleman taking a lady out in, 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 you know, picking up the first bill? Or is that a no-no now? Or is it 50-50? Or is it nice to do or not? Yeah, no, there is really, because, you know, Mick, um, it's too long to go into now, but there is a thing of, like, the man earning the woman's affection. And in the first stages of courting, uh, it's enough for a man to be with the woman, enjoy her company. He wants to do everything for the woman. So, like, it's only really in that early courting stages that that happens. So the woman should really enjoy it because, you know, anybody who's in a relationship or married, you know, that that fizzles out and that that phase doesn't last. So, yes, there is. It's still there and it still exists. Okay, but romance is alive and well is the main message, is it? It is fantastic. It's booming at the moment. It's actually the best time. I've seen since I got into this industry to be dating. Fantastic. Sitting on the couch wondering, should they go for it? Well done. Okay, Francis Kelleher, dating expert. It's been lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. Cheers. Cheers. All the best. Bye bye. 28 minutes to 12 now. Text The Neil Prenderville Show now. 086 8104106. Red FM. Just a final few free food Friday mentions. And this is, of course, with Oak Fire Pizza. Uh, we've asked you to uh, tell us who you are, where you are, uh, and what you do. We're going to send next week, and we've one going out this week, of course, uh, last week's winners. But next week, you could be getting six large pieces with sides, wood fired baby potatoes, garlic bread, dips, drinks, and homemade mini cheesecake tasters, all uh, with a nod to the green as well, the compostable cups and cutlery and napkins that you'll need 
as well. It's a huge Cork success story. Trevor Toolhire on Victoria Road. Some of the lads need some proper grub. P.S. We love the show. Keep up the good work, says Mark. Free Food Friday. We'd love to win this for the crew working here in HSS Hire in Tivoli, says Jim. Kevin and all the hardworking staff of Murray's Super Value in Mayfield. Hi, I'd love to win the fantastic pizza prize for my family and our neighbours who are having a socially distanced movie night tonight in the garden via a projector on the gable wall of the house. It would make a great way to warm up the kids while sitting out. You'd make three families very happy. I'd love to recommend all the hard workers from Hertel on site in the old refinery in Whitegate for lunch today, especially my partner Owen, who's a sheet metal worker. And I'd love Free Food Friday for my sister Gemma and all the girls at Cheeky Cherubs in Balancholic. They are looking after all the babies and toddlers there. Mick, could I get a Free Food Friday for my mam Carol and all the housekeeping uh, staff working hard in the Radisson Blue Hotel in Little Island. Lunch for Paddy Cashman and all at the Roadstone Quarry in Carrick Tool. And any chance of lunch for the Donkey Sanctuary near Chalival. Unsung heroes, Paul in his very stationary taxi in uh, Cork City. Actually, I did, let me dig it out here. I got a message about the taxis, actually. Um, hi, Mick, a huge thank you for highlighting the decimation of the taxi industry. As you know, we have a meeting outside Parky Rin next Monday at 12 noon. All taxi drivers should attend this and as many public reps as possible. Never has there been such unity within the taxi industry. It's stronger together, says Anthony. I'm not sure, is it Parky Kiev or Parky Rin? It says Parky Rin on this message, but I'm happy to clarify that on Monday morning if you wish to get in touch, guys. Okay, now, back to the phones. Michelle, hi, how are you? Hi, Mick, how are you? Oh, very good. Now, a lot of talk with Neil last week about the CUH. Lots of debate. Yes, lots of debate. Okay. Um, I was just listening in, and uh, not that the stories were negative, because they were everyone's personal experiences, and um, so I absolutely respect that. But I was in there myself last week with my uh, five-week-old, and um, I, tell, I just had an absolute great experience. They brought us in, um, skipped skipped um, the waiting room just because of our age and the COVID threat, brought us into a private room. Um, so on and so forth uh, but the reason I messaged in is because I received a package in the post yesterday um, will I read it out to you? Please do Yes, it says, Avine, thank you so much for allowing us to mind our teddy. We kept Teddy in a lovely plastic bag to keep them clean so he could, so he could see everything. We hope he enjoys his journey with Unpost Return to you. All the best, CUHP's emergency department staff. And a smiley face as well. Yes, and a sticker. I just thought it was an absolute lovely thought. Fantastic. And you left the teddy behind, did you? Yes, and I didn't even notice. <laughs> I didn't even notice. And how long was Teddy missing and looking after then helping the staff? Oh, and... he, he went on holidays there for two weeks. Two weeks, he okay. Lo- he had a lovely time. He had a lovely time. And that's the ED department uh, and the paediatrician ED staff in the CUH. The uh, CUH. Oh, I just wanted to say thank you so much to them. What a lovely, kind bunch they are. And that's a lovely story to to uh, reflect back on the good people in the CUH and all that they do. So well done to everybody concerned. And uh, Teddy and Baby now reunited. All reunited. Brilliant altogether. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks, Mick. Take care. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Now, staying on the subject of babies, we want to talk to uh, Dennis Buckley on line two, who's doing a huge fundraiser this weekend. Hi, Dennis. Hi, Mick. How are you? Good. Now, you're going to help raise funds for the neonatal in the CUMH. Uh, and you were wondering if we could help you get the word out. Okay, so... Certainly, yeah, we just want to hope to spread the word. So just to give you a bit of a background of what we're doing, so on September 19th last year, our little baby Eve was born and spent some time in the CUMH neonatal unit. So the care that our baby got from the staff here and the support that we as parents got was absolutely world-class. Mick, I could not speak highly enough of all the staff there. 
So just to give our listeners a flavour of the work that is done in the neonatal unit, um, over 8,000 babies are born in CUMH every year, and around 1 in 10, so around 800, will need to be cared for in the neonatal unit for a variety of reasons. So we'll have premature babies, babies with breathing difficulties, neonatal jaundice, and feeding issues, just to name um, a few. So as a thank you to the neonatal unit and to mark our daughter's first birthday, which is tomorrow, my partner Elizabeth and I are running a fundraising event this weekend called Spinning My Wheels. Okay, this is Saturday the 1st of September, is it? Yeah, all over this weekend. So from today until Sunday, people can, can get involved. Okay. Okay, so the funds, the funds that are raised then um, it will go towards purchasing cold lights that can be put under a baby's hand so that you can see baby's veins. So this will make it a lot easier when taking blood or putting a drip up for the babies. And the other priority is um, the purchase of breastfeeding chairs so that mothers are comfortable when they're feeding their babies. Okay, so these so are neonatal vein- venoscopes is the actual... Exactly. They're special uh, lights to help doctors and nurses see the little baby's veins to carry out necessary medical procedures. Uh, and, and do they need these, yeah? Obviously there's... They need these, yeah. So we've liaised with uh, Margaret O'Driscoll. She's the clinical midwife manager uh, in the neonatal unit. And these are a priority that they, they need these badly, like, you know? Yeah, I wouldn't have thought 8,000 births, but I suppose it stands to reason when you look at the size of the Cork's population. Exactly, and I suppose you get people from outside of Cork as well who have to come to UMH to, um, to have their babies born. Well, that's what, 160 babies a week? Yeah, so and about 1 in 10 then of those babies need care in the neonatal unit. Okay, so the neonatal unit has approximately 40 cots, uh, and care in the neonatal unit is delivered within two clinical areas, the neonatal intensive care unit, or the NICU, or the special baby care unit, the SCBU. Everything's abbreviated yeah. these days, isn't it? But you're looking to raise ten thousand euro, uh, yeah. which will go towards purchasing these these essential items. And what can people do, or what do you want them to do? Yeah. So how do people get involved this weekend? So to get involved in the fundraising event, we've called it "Spinning My Wheels." All you need to do is sometime this weekend go for a cycle. I know a lot of people have bought bikes during the lockdown, so this will give people an opportunity to use these to go out for a walk with a pram, go out for a drive in your car or with a, with a motorbike go on your skateboard, go on your flicker, or even just go for a walk or a run. And when you come home, if you can, you can make a donation through the following. So you can make a donation through www.justgiving forward slash fundraising forward slash C-U-M-H neonatal. Okay. Just giving okay. forward slash fundraising forward slash C-U-M-H C-U-M-H neonatal. Yeah, okay. and we'd also encourage people to take pictures when they're out in the boat, and you can post these on social media on the CUH charity Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. All right, fantastic. Delighted to highlight that for you, and it's a very worthy cause. Let us know how you get on with it, will you? I certainly will, yeah. Thanks very much. Mate. Thanks, Dennis, and, and all the best, yeah, and, and we salute your, your efforts to do good. Thank you. Great, great stuff. Thank you. Bye. Okay, thanks very much. Uh, different topic now, line one, and that's Dermot. Hi, Dermot. Morning. Uh, first of all, about the, the email concerning the, the the lady who is um, raw with mother, yeah, over single parent, you know, over the the boyfriend who is the child, yeah, yeah. Well, it's a, it's her friend's, her daughter's yeah. friend uh, is now going out with a guy who, uh, you know, on on the first night they met, said, "I have a child." Yeah. Well, it's like this. So the person had a raw with the mother, or whatever. Yes. Is it her? It is, yeah. She had a row yeah. with, with the mother about the friend. Now, build a wall 
Up, get, get, her, get, her, get herself um, some cement and some blocks. <laughs> build the wall and get over it. <laughs> or build a bridge and get over it. <laughs> yeah, just build a wall, actually. Just it, it, give, give her some exercise, too. Get over it. You had a row with your mother, so you have to share it with the world. Probably, it sounds like a snowflake millennial. <laughs> it's what the, did it's, we do? It's the mother was writing from a position of guilt for what, having argu- argued with her daughter. in the old days? We'd mutter away to each other or whatever. You know, you'd have a row with your mother. You'd might, because if you're old enough, you might have gone to the pub and said, I had a row with my mother. The barman said, oh, geez, oh, that's terrible. Get over it. <laughs> okay, Just but the real reason you rang was, was about a, a video on YouTube, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. I strongly, strongly, strongly recommend everybody watch this video. It goes on for a bit, but like myself, um, it goes on for a bit. And it's it was done in 19, I, I think it was done in 2018 as a centenary of the 1918 Spanish flu. And it's done by doctors. And it was, it was, the, you see, it was the world's first pandemic. Pandemic means that it's everywhere, the, the, the disease, and it's spreading like a good thing and God knows what. In 1918, they did nothing, absolutely nothing, because they couldn't, because there was a war going on. So it would have interfered with the, with, um, the, the war effort. Mm-hmm. So millions and millions and millions died as a result. More than died in the war, I would venture. Far, yes, and uh, in America, 700,000 or something of that people died. And the only place that practiced social distancing and whatever restriction of travel and all that was San Francisco. And they were, but however, they got, they got calm, sorry, they got, they, um, they, things went quiet then. And the second wave came along, killed a whole bunch of people then because they took their eye off the ball. So all these numpties that are out there saying this is some kind of conspiracy or something like that, yeah, that's what they are, just numpties. It's a very, very, very serious uh, matter. And look at that video. It's done by virologists, so they know what they, you know, and they did say in it that this is a very, very serious matter. It's only a matter of time. It's not when something like this, it's not if something like this will ever happen again. It's when it happens. It's going on. One third of the world's population caught the Spanish yeah, flu. And it's it called 19, just 1918 Spanish flu. Okay, and, and, it, and it's on, on YouTube. On the outside, there's a whole bunch of skeletons. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so you won't miss it, but whatever. It's, it's done by doctors. It's done by people with brains who know what they're talking about. And it just shows where the government did nothing. The government is now doing something about it. Okay, we're all unhappy and it's, it's the right drag. But life for a long time won't be the same again for an awful long time. Okay, and uh, the the Spanish flu had a mortality rate of about 10%. 500 million caught it, and they say 50 million died from it. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And it was was as stark as this. In the hospitals in in New York um, and in Philadelphia and a whole bunch of places, there was nurses who would go in in the morning. They'd start their shift in the morning. They were dead in the evening. It It was that bleak. Wow. But but the um, the government, you see, the health, the the doctors, of course, and the health crowds were saying to the government, for God's sake, we have to do something about it. And of course, the government just said, "Shut up! There's there's a war going on. We have to concentrate on that." And it was only called the Spanish flu because Spain, you see, was neutral, 
And Spain was making a big song and dance about it. They were saying, "We don't want people to come to our country because you're going to bring the Spanish, you're going to bring this flu, this disease to it." That's why it's called the Spanish flu. I didn't know that one. I did. I did know it had yeah, a high mortality that's, rate. That's the reason. But, but the only the only downside to the whole thing was at the end they didn't say how they bet it. Oh, didn't they? All right, so it's called. It's on YouTube. But they, they practiced all these restrictions and whatever. That seemed to stop it. They were okay. lucky, you know, they were lucky. It's on YouTube. It's called 1918 Spanish Flu. Dermot, thank yeah, you very right, much. Yeah. We're back in a moment with our free food Friday winner. Thank you, Dermot. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850 104 106. Now, Oak Fire Pizza are open every day and they can deliver, I suppose, really all over the place because of three locations uh, that can help workplaces across Cork. Vegetarian, vegan customers are catered for with the local uh, vegan mozzarella as well. So it's a truly Cork-made success story. Oak Fire Pizza, Princess Street, Clonakilty and Bandon. We're going to sort out lunch now. We're working a week behind, so this will be next Friday so you can get all the gang together and look forward to it. Six large pizzas with sides, wood-fired baby potatoes, garlic bread, dips, drinks and homemade mini cheesecake tasters plus all the compost, uh, compostable cups, cutlery and napkins you will need. You can check out the website at oakfirepizza.ie and they're spreading the passion for real wood fire pizza since 2010. So 10 years of great pizzas and uh, Texter number 104 uh, it was this. We'd love to win the Free Food Friday. All the guys at the Naval Base Hospital in Hall Bolin who are working hard in these challenging times. So well done, guys and gals. Uh, the pizza will be winging its way to you. You've got Philip Burke to call you as well next Friday to see that you're really enjoying it. And uh, we wish you all the very best. Enjoy with our compliments and those of Oak Fire Pizza. You can check it out on oakfirepizza.ie. So well done to all working in the Naval Base Hospital, and I'm sure they'll feed them and many more. It's in Hall Bolin, working hard in these challenging times. So well done to you guys. Now then, to finish up the programme, we are going to talk to Barry Neville, who's the Cork County Culture Night Coordinator. Good morning, Barry. Morning, Mick. How are you? Very good. Now, I imagine it's a culture night with a few changes, so tell us all about it. So the theme for this year's Culture Night is Culture Night Reimagined. Uh, so obviously in years gone by, uh, Culture Night would have been very events-based, physical events happening all across Cork County, the city, across Ireland in general. But uh, this year it's reimagined, obviously, with things the way they are. Um, so we have placed a lot of the emphasis on digital events, so moving, moving the celebration online. So we have a mixture of physical and digital events happening tonight from 4 p.m. So four hours from now, there's going to be a range of different things happening uh, across the county. But the, the difference this year is that in years gone by, you might be able to, say, go to two events in Kinsale and you'd miss what was happening in Castletown Bear and you'd miss what was happening in Charleville. This year, because so many of them are digital, you can tune in to things that are happening in Mill Street, that are happening wow. in Charleville, that are happening all across the county. So it means... That Culture Night is actually coming to you rather than you having to go to Culture Night this it's year. It's a fantastic reversal and, and it's, a, it's a fantastic way to present it to people. Is there a roadmap for the timing of each of the events that people can, can dip in and out of? If you check out uh, culturenightcarcounty.ie, uh, it's set to go chronologically so you can see when each event is premiering and when all physical events are happening as well. So the majority of our digital events will premiere at about 4 o'clock this evening and then about 15 out of our 52 events are physical and they're happening across the evening. 
So if you're looking at the physical events, uh, we would just ask that you make sure that you click on the links to see about booking, um, as obviously all COVID precautions are being followed um, and the events, they have, there has been a high take up on them. So just to make sure that you contact the event before you go to look into one of the physical events. But if you aren't able to get to a physical event, then there is more than enough happening online. Okay, and the physical events are like what? So, for example, in Kinsale, we have the Cork County Council writer and resident Matthew Geaton is doing a walking tour, uh, a literary walking tour around the town. Uh, in Mallow, we have Johnny Bongos and Owen Turner are doing a trad session at the plaza. Katie Holly, our uh, cultural ambassador for Cork County, who we're delighted to have uh, one of her three events that she's doing this year, um, because she's just that amazing that she has three events for us, is that she's going to be uh, uh, debuting her performance of pageant with Irene Kelleher in the Schoolyard Theatre in Charleville uh, this evening, followed by music. Um, so across the whole of the county, there are physical events, but across the whole of the county, there have been a range of digital events put in place as well. Uh, if you uh, get a chance to check out what Cork ETB uh, has done, Lena Cronin at the ETB has actually brought together a range of different uh, events from all around the county, from Shirkin to Tubridwell to everywhere in between. She's put together, it's about two hours of events um, that celebrates culture from uh, the ETV's point of view. Okay, Barry, so, thanks Thanks a million. You're the Cork County Culture Night Coordinator. Uh, it's brought to you by Cork County Council. As Conal Creedon would say to me, Mulcahy, the last time you saw culture was on top of a yoghurt. But we wish, we wish you all the very best with Barry, both physically and the online uh, editions that you're doing from four o'clock on today. Thank you very much, Barry. Thanks a million, mate. All the best. Bye-bye. That's the Neil Prendival Show for the week. My thanks to the production team, Emma Hill, Mark Willington, Seamus Whelan, and uh, our senior producer is Brenda Dennehy. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you Monday after News at 9, but News at 12 is on the way. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.